Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And play. Do your family chores. Have dinner with the family. Whatever what you want. Not. But it shouldn't be loading these kids up. And so what was going on, some of these kids were staying up to 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. And they'd get their homework done. But the next morning, they were so wore out that they were falling asleep early and then later they're waking up and they're all screwed up. Their nutrition was terrible. They didn't eat breakfast. And then when they did grab a snack, it was something with high carbs and sugars. So a lot of the problems were not a ADD or ADHD child, but on the pharmaceutical side, if they don't give that diagnosis, you can't prescribe crap like Ritalin and, and Adderall that is terrible. Now, one of the things, if you look at Ritalin and Adderall, the research that I've seen showed that when you take Ritalin and Adderall, you damaged about 75% of the neurotransmitters in the brain. So what we're doing is we're dumbing down the child so they can't learn as well, they can't do as well, but they think they're focused like a horse with blinders on at the racetrack. They think, because they can only see that little spot right in front of them, that they're focusing and concentrating better. And what they also found is that if you snorted coke, an illegal drug, it only damaged 50% of the neurotransmitters. So legal Adderall and Ritalin were much more damaging to the child's brain than if we just snorted illegal coke. So think about that. The, the one that damaged them the least and caused the least problems is illegal. And the drugs that they could write a prescription for did much more damage. But that's okay because they had a script. I mean, absolutely terrible. Now, zinc... Uh, when when they uh, added zinc back into the child's diet, they found out it was very important, and it helped convert the EFAs to iconocytes. And so if even if they had the EFAs and they had a real problem without the zinc, they couldn't do that. And the iron was causing all kinds of dopaminergic uh, transmission to contribute to ADD. And so if you haven't, if you didn't have iron levels. You could have more severe symptoms, and uh, the child could have problems. Also, with magnesium, um, they did an epidemiology study and found that 95% of the children were deficient in magnesium, and, the, and they did a study that showed that it was low in the hair, the RBCs, the serum, and it was, this was very important because it, it, when you substitute a magnesium, which is used in many, many of the metabolic and biological processes in the body, their behavior got better. Now, if a child really had trouble, one of the first things we would do is put them on a good whole food supplement. 
make sure their diet cleared out a lot of the carbs and sugars and tons of Cokes and sweet drinks all day long. And then if and if they needed it, and this is good even for adults and and high school and college kids, uh, but for the gold standard for a kid that really was ADD or ADHD for some reason, Bacoba Complex was the standard. And Bacoba just is the herbal thing that they found that worked. And I've used it on adults, college, high school, and everybody benefits. It's kind of like a brain tonic. So that that was the thing that made a real difference. And uh, very rarely do we use that. Now, I had more adults and college kids come to me and high school kids and say, I could just use a little help focusing. I'm tired. I'm, I'm not paying attention like I like to. And it, it, a lot of cases it was diet and stuff too, but they liked the Bacoba because it helped them while they were fixing their diet or doing other things. Very rare, though, that I find anybody that ever needed anything more than changing the diet and substituting some good nutrition. And another thing that we found that helped was rhodiola and ginseng complex. It was emotionally calming, cognitively stimulating, and uh, it just it had an effect on stimulating dopamine. So given that to a child, sometimes could exaggerate it, and sometimes it can make it better. So you never know. Many of the kids love taking Adderall and Ritalin because instead of giving them more focus and dumbing them down, it lit them up like a, like they took some kind of a speed at the racetrack. So they like that. A lot of them kids were doing other kids as Ritalin and Adderall, so that was a big fun thing for all of them. But if you know somebody... It's got a kid that's always bouncing off the walls, or the schools are complaining, or you just you're seeing what you think is hyperactivity, and even if they've been diagnosed by the psychologist and the the pharmaceutical guys have got them on Ritalin and Adderall, uh, talk to a doctor like me, see if we can't do something natural and help fix the problem, not cover it up. And the worst thing is we do not want to dumb down their brain. Uh, I've seen adults that tell me they're still on Ritalin or Adderall because they couldn't concentrate and focus. And when I showed them the literature and what it actually does, they didn't want any part of it anymore, but nobody told them that growing up. So consequently, um, you've got people that have not knowingly allowed their, their self or their children to have the brain dumbed down and not develop like maybe it could have because it was being held back by Ritalin or Adderall and they got other drugs now. So diet, check the diet, always pull back the carbs and sugars. We all love them, but you can't let a kid have carbs and sugars all day long and five Cokes and do everything they want like that. And if you got a child that is really sharp, find out their interests. Talk to the teachers. And you'll probably find that uh, they just haven't found their thing yet, and when they do, a lot of that wasted energy will be put to good use. So uh, very rare, except in 20 years, I, I think maybe 
just a couple of kids actually had something else going on that took a longer time to correct. But most of the time, diet, better classes, tougher classes, finding something that really interested them took care of all that. And in the meantime, they drove everybody crazy. So, you know, that's why it was easy to put them on a medication and shut them up for the schools, but that wasn't the answer. And if you have a question about that, you can always call me at the office. Um, I'm usually taking calls from about 8.30 in the morning till I close at 5 at night. Uh, at Central Standard Time. If you really need me after hours and it's an emergency, I do check messages and I'll call you back. If it's not an emergency, I will call you the next day and uh, we'll take care of it during normal business hours because I've got a lot of other things going on when I'm not working. Uh, last week we touched a little bit um, on uh, lupus and some treatments that I had run into in the literature and some doctors that had some fabulous successes. And uh, I've had some pretty good success myself, but I looked into some of what this one doctor had been doing, and uh, we had some great success with uh, desiccated spleen and 4-till B12, and also I use Emuplex. And if you have any questions about that, if you, you know somebody with lupus that's tried everything and not getting any better, uh, Please let me know. A lot of this, a lot of this uh, procedure that I just mentioned is good for a lot of those things that you might call autoimmune stuff, and especially like with staph infections, we have found uh, that sometimes that infection that won't clear up or lingers for a long time may be in the spleen, and you have to address the spleen along with the other things you're doing. And it seems like the spleen might be that last frontier that you've got to knock it out of. So anybody has questions on that, it was very popular after the show. I've heard about it from several people about lupus and would love to help them. And, again, just give me a call. Uh, if you have any questions for the show, you'd like to call in while we're on air, uh, you'd like to be a part of the show, whatever the phone number for uh, the show is 1-800-932-1980. We'd love to hear your calls. And when you call in, uh, ask Dr. Frank and let him know what your interest is. If you want to be a, a guest, if you have questions, uh, suggestions, anything, we'll be glad to hear from you. Uh, if you go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, there's a banner where you can donate and help out the show. We appreciate it. Uh, I personally prefer heavy gold bars, but we'll take anything. And uh, we'd love to have any donation that helps put out what we hope is great radio and great shows that interest everybody. Uh, on a night like tonight, right before me is Hesh, and uh, right after me is uh, another show of uh, natural health and herbal stuff, so it's a nice combination of three shows in a row with Wendy, Hesh, and myself. And so if you're listening on Wednesday evening or Wednesday afternoon or wherever you're at, what day, what time it is, um, we know that you're into the health and natural things, and hopefully we can put out some good suggestions and give you some uh, food for thought and help you be able to make better decisions in your life.
And that way, when you do have something come up, you don't just react or go with the latest commercial on TV and let somebody hurt you. Uh, I was watching uh, a, a film, Nicholson, one of my favorite golfers, and he's pushing some very, very tough pharmaceutical medication for uh, psoriasis, basically. And uh, his rheumatologist on the, on the commercial recommended it. And they list all the side effects, but they don't talk about them. And, I mean, they're pretty terrible, but they don't mention them at all. They just mention that it helped a little bit cover up some of these symptoms, but underneath the damage it's doing, and Phil's still young enough that he can get away with some of that stuff, but you take these things long term and you're going to be very old before your time. So not a good thing at all. Uh, I, I hate these commercials because somebody said the other day they've got everybody conditioned because of the commercials and the way we all grew up. If you went to a doctor like me, he had to be a quack. Well, to me, the real quacks are anybody that can give you a prescription, see that it makes you worse, know the side effects and the dangers, and keep doing that and call themselves the, the mainstream medical guys and everybody else's alternative. As I've told you guys before, we're not the alternative. We've been around the longest. They're the Johnny-come-latelys, and they need a hell of a lot of marketing to make people believe you should take all those medications, and that's pretty sad. Uh, if they had a medication that was curing things and doing good, I would say great, but they're just doing good for the people that sell medication and the doctors that get the kickbacks and, you know, you go to an MD's office, if there's a salesman in there, they're giving out the samples, they're pushing that stuff, and uh, they're going to make sure that they get those things out. Uh, when we come back from break, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about a, a friend of mine that uh, used to be a pharmaceutical rep, and uh, he couldn't take it anymore, and I'll, ex I'll explain why, but... You need to understand that if you're in an emergency room, whatever they need to do, whatever they need to give you, all bets are off. God bless those guys. That's different. But other than the emergency room and other than giving you something to fight pain while we figure out what's wrong or stop it, um, there's just not very many medications that anybody could look you in the eyes and tell you that you're deficient in them are that are they're good for you? So you you gotta change your mindset. And if you've been conditioned, don't let them condition you anymore. Start reading the ingredients. Watch what happens when people take medications. How they cover up stuff. I mean, the whole thing is based on covering up and painting over the rust. Not how you want to live your life. Anyway, when we come back from break. I will tell you the story about the pharmaceutical rep who quit because he couldn't take it anymore.
I would like to tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different. With all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added, their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at natureslogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. for a couple minutes about what I call a box list. And these people are my friends, but more important than that, they're people that I trust and respect. I know they'll take good care of you like they always have me. First is Steve O'Brien of Quality Computers. And whatever your computer needs, from home to office, IT, intercoms, PA systems, uh, monitoring, he'll take care of you. 830-998. 4381 is in the Fredericksburg, Giuseppe County area. But many things he can do online where you don't even have to take the computer to him, and he works all over the place. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
This is Dr. Krupa on Dr. Krupa's Natural Health Hour. We are on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, and the call-in number is 1-800-932-1980. If you'd like to be part of the show, we'd love to have you. Uh, Frank sent me a note that I just noticed here on Skype, and he brought up a very good point that most of the food that they feed the kids in school comes from Unicar, which is the federal prison industry system food supply. And so you can imagine how great the quality of that stuff is. So anyway, thank you, Frank, for that. And uh, wanted to tell you the story before we go on to uh, some other things here. There was a gentleman that was a friend of mine, associate, that uh, used to be a uh, pharmaceutical rep. And he said, you know, you can go online and you can check and you'll see what's publicly posted about how much money and kickbacks and things that doctors get for using certain people's pharmaceutical stuff and prescribing it so the, the companies take care of them. You could see that up front. But he said what finally got to him was they push, 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 and that they had a private checking account that they would put money into so it didn't come officially from the company that he could use to send a doctor on a vacation to Hawaii, uh, throw a weekend pool party, any kind of thing he wanted within limit to get them to use their products from their pharmaceutical company. And he said, after seeing all the damage that the pharmaceutical products caused, he couldn't be part of it anymore. But he said nobody would know that because it's hush-hush, uh, and when you work for them, you can't say anything or you would lose your job. But it was not publicly made uh, aware that these behind-the-closed-door kind of kickbacks were going on. But he said he would have a checkbook, and nobody would know that it wasn't his money and he could do whatever he wanted with it to make sure that these doctors were swayed towards their medication. Pretty sad. But anyway, he quit doing that, and now he is a um, doctor like myself, and he's helping a lot of people. Uh, One of the things that came up recently, and this comes up a lot every time I wear my tennis shoes, I have Z-coil tennis shoes or Z-coil shoes, whatever you want to call them. If you'd like to take a look at them, go to zcoil.com. Recently, I was in the process of ordering myself another pair. I have been wearing them for about 20 years, and I usually keep a black pair and a navy pair so that I have two different colors. The navy is kind of white and navy blue, and then the black's all black. And I'll, I'll wear them a lot. I use them to walk. Um, I had an old pair that I used for cutting grass and working in the yard, and they are so fabulous. Now, every time I wear them, people look at you. It, it definitely is a conversation starter because they're different. Now, many of you have seen all the little knockoffs and copy stuff of kids' shoes today with little springs on the bottom and all kinds of stuff. Well, none of that does very much. But the Z-coil is very unique. Uh, I wear the open kind so you can see the the actual coil. 
And it takes about 60, 65% of the pounding off of your body when you walk. It feels fabulous. It's, it really puts a spring in your step, literally. And they're just wonderful. Uh, I don't push jogging. I think people should not jog. Uh, when you're young and you jog, you think you're getting a great workout and you don't realize the pounding your body takes. And the joggers that have done it long term, when I see them later on, have destroyed their poor bodies and they've got compressed disc and disc compression and degenerative stuff and all kinds of things going on, wearing out the joints, beating up the knees, the ankles are all beat up, and it's just a tough thing. But if you're going to jog, no matter what I just said, the Z-coil is the way to do it because if you run, say you run three miles when you go run, that Z-coil is going to make it feel like maybe one mile. It works that good. Uh, I remember one time coming out of the, uh, it was either Walmart or Kroger, and I had a shopping cart, and I was trying to hurry up and get to the car before it started raining again. And I just kind of pushed off with those Z-coil shoes, and, man, I was flying to the to the car. It was just amazing how quick I got there pushing that shopping cart. But they're really good-looking shoes. Uh, when I talk to the people about Arterin, uh, and they know that I, you know, wear them and talk about them on the radio, and I have a, a, a link on my website, they said if anybody, any of my listeners or patients want to try them, that uh, they'll give you, a, I think it's a 10% discount, and all you have to do is go to zcoil.com, and they gave me a code, and I recognize this guy. It's Dr. Krupa. That's me, D-R-K-R-O-U-P-A-2016, 2016. And it's not case sensitive. You can type it however you want. But if you put in Dr. Krupa 2016, they'll give you a 10% discount on those shoes. And I love them. I'm getting a second pair right now, the black pair. I've got a blue pair. My other pair wore out. I wore them for 10 years, and I was using them to cut grass, and that was their last. I did that for probably the last couple of years, and they finally just wore out. So I got a good 10 years out of them probably. Uh, a great shoe. Uh, they look, I've had women sometimes look at them and say, oh, those are funny looking. I couldn't wear that. Well, many people that have tried them fell in love with them, and then they, they don't care. I think they look great. I like being a little different. I don't want to follow everybody. I, I kind of like to do my own thing. I'm sure when I was a young kid, I followed and did all the typical stupid things. But later in life, I learned that it was better to set your own trail. And the Z-coil shoes, like I said, I've been wearing them probably 20 years. And the one thing that I also do is I do uh, foot levelers custom orthotics. So I, even though Z-Coil comes with a pretty good arch support, uh, Foot Levelers has got a three-arch custom-made uh, foot leveler orthotic for you, and so I'll put it in all my shoes, and so I got the best of both worlds. I got the Z-Coil, which is the best walking or running or jogging shoe you're ever going to find. I'd prefer you walk. I think walking is so good. And it's not so tough on the joints. Um, but anyway, when we do the custom orthotics, I have a 3D body scanner in my office. 
And so if anybody would ever like to do the 3D body scan and see where your feet and body, it, it'll show us shoulder, uh, hips, ankles, knees, and then it shows us your feet and tells me how the three arches. You have, you have three arches uh, on your foot, not just the main arch everybody knows about. So when we do these custom orthotics, um, it's made just for you, just for your foot. And what's kind of neat with foot levelers is right now they've got flip-flops with the custom orthotic built in. They've got sandals with the custom orthotic. And they've got a full line of shoes and all kinds of things where the orthotic's built in. Or you can buy a separate orthotic and do like I do, stick it in my Z-coil shoe, and now I've got the greatest shoe to walk in. It's amazing. I, I've been trying to do a little more walking, at least a mile, in the end of my day. And with the Z-coil, I don't feel like I walked anywhere. It's just, it just that takes that much pressure off your body. I, I think it's like 60, 65%. I'm not positive, but it's pretty fabulous. And again, uh, they were really nice because I, you know, I, I've been wearing them forever. And, you know, I talk about them on the radio periodically. They're on my website. And so they just said, tell your patients and anybody in the audience that would like a pair, contact us at zcarl.com and uh, punch in Dr. Krupa 2016 and we'll give them a discount. So I thought that was pretty neat. And also I told them I want a discount, and they said, no problem. They'll take care of me too. Um so anyway, the Z-Coil shoe, if you go check them out, it is, they're just cool. I mean, it's, it's a neat shoe. You're different. And what caught my eye many years ago, I was in a nutritional seminar uh, doing our continuing education uh, way, way back. And I noticed the doctor teaching the class was wearing these very weird-looking shoes. And we asked him about it because he was on his feet the whole time and running around like a jackrabbit and looked like he never got tired. And he said, well, this seminar isn't about these shoes, so I don't want to take away from the seminar on the shoes, but if, if anybody's interested, since I'm getting all these questions and looks, ask me at break or lunch. So we did, and what we found out is that they were so comfortable. It didn't feel like you were on your feet all day. You could walk around, and it just took all that pressure off. And he said you would find them worn more by doctors and nurses who were on their feet all the time, and that was where he first learned about them. So after that seminar, I went, found a place that sold them local. I wanted to see a little bit about them. And in the, here in Houston, there's a place down by the old Astrodome and the lady would let you try them on and go outside and walk up and down and run up and down the sidewalk and see how they felt. And I was hooked. But once I put that Z-coil shoe on and saw the difference, and back in those days, I was pretty dumb. I did a little jogging, and, you know, I did, it was before I was a doctor. Uh, very, very, very early on as a doctor also, and so I still did a little jogging, and I did it with the Z-coil, and I noticed, wow, you know, because I, I used to run a few miles, and now it felt like I didn't hardly run half of that with these things on. It was just wonderful. 
and they, like I said, they look kind of neat to me. They do have some that are closed where you can't see the spring. I don't like that, but everybody has their own taste. I like the original, the open face, where you see the spring. It's different everywhere I go. It's a conversation starter. And I, anytime I see people walking or jogging or doing anything like that, I always recommend to them, get, check out the Z-Coil. It's a great shoe, and uh, it's going to take so much pressure off your poor body. And I won't see in my office on the chiropractic side near as beat up because it'll protect your body a whole lot. So pretty nice. And again, if you're interested in the uh, uh, custom orthotics and you happen to be in the Houston area or you're going to be in the Houston area, it only takes me about 15 minutes to do a scan. And it shows you everything. It tells us what your foot needs. And uh, you, we, we can do that. And if you decide you want an orthotic, great. Uh, if, if you want to think about it, that's okay, too, but we can do that scan and help you a lot, especially if you're on your feet, if you're athletic, if you like to walk or uh, play softball or something like that. It's just a great shoe, and if you check it out at uh, zcoil.com, you're going to love it. You're going to think, wow, that's a weird-looking shoe at first, but I think you're going to like it. Another thing that came up uh, recently was headaches. I assure you... You are not medication deficient if you have headaches. Now, there are a lot of reasons, and there are a lot of fancy names for all the headaches. Oh, I wanted to say a quick shout-out to my friend Galen Beatty at BDAC. He's probably the best AC guy, and he's got my friend Peter Bergman working with him. Uh, they sent me a message during the show, said they were listening Thanks, guys. Uh, you're the best. And if anybody ever needs AC work and you want guys you can trust and not get screwed over, these are them. These are two of the finest gentlemen I know and uh, just good people. So BD, AC, and Heat here in the Houston area, he, he covers a lot of territory, him and Peter Bergman, who works with him. But anyway, on the headaches, there's a lot of fancy names. Sometimes it's got to do with allergies. Sometimes it could be a sinus infection. Sometimes your body is very sensitive to something you ate, like MSG or, you know, a poor form of iodine and some cheap junk that you got in the way of a supplement or somebody put bad stuff in the food. Maybe you drank something that wasn't good for you. So there's all kinds of things. There's migraines. There's cluster headaches. There's tension headaches. There's stress headaches. There's headaches that are caused by cervical uh, joint problems in the neck. Uh, very complicated, and it can be devastating to the person that's suffering with headaches. Uh, if Karen's listening tonight, please call in at 1-800-932-1980 and tell us a little bit about all that headache stuff. You and I went through a lot of that over the years. And uh, we learned a lot. But a lot of times what you find, it's never one thing. There's never one, just one trigger. And you're certainly not deficient on a medication if you have a headache. There's a problem. The headache is another one of those giant check engine lights I tell you about. And we need to listen. 
and we got to pay attention when we get those headaches. What did I eat? What was I doing? Do I have a sinus infection? Do I have uh, a middle ear infection? Is there something going on where I just ate some MSG and I didn't know it was in there? I, I have a couple patients, and uh, one of them is a very, very good friend of mine. I told him that if he was the food taster for the king in the old days, that everybody that cooked food would be dying because his body turns on the check engine light when the least little bit of a problem is present. Now, some people, their body doesn't turn that check engine light on until it's bad. But his check engine light comes on with the least little amount of anything. He can tell you what was in the food, if it had too much sugar, if it had MSG. Uh, it, it affects him drastically in a hurry. And so we always joke that if he was the food tester for the king, the king would see his reaction and think the food was poison and kill the chef. And here it was just that my friend is very, very sensitive, and his body quickly tells him this is good or this is bad. So everybody's different. Uh, the lady Karen that I mentioned uh, used to get a lot of headaches, and we found that they were from many different things. It was never just one thing. Sometimes something as simple as smelling an aroma candle could trigger a headache, and other times it could have been food or drink. Uh, sometimes people find when they drink wines that are not organic, that are full of sulfites and the, the sulfates, that, they, that triggers headaches in a lot of people. And so what we used to do, we had a list, and I don't have it with me at the moment, but I'll have it out for next show. We found a long list of organic wines that didn't have that, and you get natural sulfates and sulfites in wine naturally occurring, but a lot of places added them, and that's where the headaches and the problems came in. Uh, I, I just got a note from Frank. I looked over here and it said, isn't that called a hangover? No. No, this one happened before they got to the point of even having too much to drink. Just the least little bit with the sulfates and the sulfites could cause that headache. But the organic wines didn't do that. Uh, I never had anybody tell me about beer or, or the hard liquor doing that, just the wine. So, but thank Frank. Frank, for any of you that are wondering who I'm talking to, Frank is the owner of our wonderful radio station, and he is also the producer. And uh, he helps keep me online, and uh, he's responsible for the wonderful commercials that we do. If, uh, just recently, he put one together for me because he's the master at doing that kind of stuff. So if you hear me mention his name, he's here helping me and keeping me between the between the lines, so to speak. So uh, that's who Frank is. But anyway, uh, if you're not sure, if you're one of those people that says, I can't drink wine because I get a headache, then go into your local liquor store and ask them for organic wines and try that. Usually we see no problem when that happens. Sometimes it's allergies. Sometimes that early part of the season when you see the yellow pollen everywhere, it can trigger headaches in some people. Some people doesn't bother at all. So there's no cookie-cutter recipe 
on how to deal with headaches or what causes them, but they'd like you to believe that. And so that's why there's a million medications, and that's just not the way to do it. We, uh, there may be some time you've got to take something for that headache to get through, but let's figure out what's wrong. Let's not let you keep suffering. And sometimes we've got to change the diet. And one of the things I've learned in the last few years is sometimes the gut is messed up. Digestion is so screwed up that things aren't being absorbed properly. Nutrients aren't being broken down properly. Digestive enzymes, stomach acid, all these things aren't working as they should. Problems with the liver or gallbladder. And this sets the table for the chain reaction downstream of nothing working right, and this can trigger a headache. Uh, it, it breaks my heart. It never fails during the week. I hear of people having a gallbladder attack and ending up getting surgery. Well, gallbladder attack is terribly painful. Gallstones are terribly painful. But the solution is not to take the gallbladder out. That is something they love to do because it's a quick, easy operation and they act like the gallbladder is a spare part. I assure you it is not. Uh, I have been very blessed. We're not allowed to say we can cure anything. And as I always tell you, I've been blessed. I've seen a lot of miracles. But over the last 20 years, every time somebody had a gallbladder attack or ended up in the emergency room and was told they needed surgery, or went to their GP and was told they needed surgery and came to me and gave us a chance first. What we did worked, and they didn't lose the gallbladder, and they were healthy. And, yes, it was painful in the beginning, but we have a lot of tools, thank God, that are natural that work better and revitalize that, that gallbladder. It is not a spare part. Uh, I've heard surgeons tell people, you don't need it. There's no no problems after it's gone. It won't get better, and we need to get it out of there. Well, that's not true. Now, there may be cases where they get in there and they have to remove that gallbladder. Maybe, I don't know, what it could be cancer or something like that. I don't know. But for me, in all these years, never have we had anybody that was told they needed it taken out that... Um, had it out. So um, we got to them. We made it better. They were grateful. I said, thank you, thank you, God, for making this work. I didn't want to see them suffer, and I didn't want to see them lose that gallbladder. For those of you that aren't sure, the gallbladder takes the bile that the liver makes, and it makes it into a concentrate. And when you eat your food and it has any kind of fat, at all, it meters out the bile to help break down the fats and start digestion. Because good fat, bad fat, but mostly good fat that's good for you and needed has to start in that digestion process and be broken down. Otherwise, it can't be utilized properly throughout the rest of the body. Well, without the gallbladder, you don't break down the fats properly. And so what happens, many patients that have had their gallbladder out will avoid any kind of good fat and bad fat naturally 
because they tell me, well, when I eat a good steak or ribs or sausage or anything that's got fat, I feel nauseated right after I eat. Well, what's happening is that food is not breaking down in the stomach, and so digestion's all messed up, and guess what? You're suffering miserably, and and you're not going to get the nutrients. So we can do things if you've had the gallbladder taken out, and hopefully um, we won't have to, you know, substitute things for not having it. But there's a lot we can do to save it and make it healthy, and we've been really blessed to see that. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for another wonderful time to be with you this week and to take up your time and try to help you with health care. Uh, as always, please be very quick to listen and slow to speak. Treat others as you like to be treated. And thank you so much for letting me be a part of your week. God bless you and have a good evening. Seems the love I've known has always been the most destructive kind. Guess that's why now I feel so old before my time. Yesterday, when I was young, the taste of life was sweet as rain upon my tongue. I teased at life as if it were a foolish game. The way the evening breeze may tease a candle flame. The thousand dreams I dreamed, the splendid things I planned, I always built to last. On weakened shifting sand I live by night And shun the naked light of day And only now I see How the years ran away Yesterday When I was young So many happy songs Were waiting to be The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless.
part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. Financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll-free 866 229 3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3W's.thepowerherbs.com. resident herbalist Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. We're here to empower you. That's what we like to do here on Herb Talk Live. Um, Magical engineer Frank and I have a great show. Thanks for joining us here on the American Voice Radio Network. We're going to be talking about radiation. Yeah, it's the radiation age. And you probably say, well, I don't have to worry about that. Well, you'll see. And let's see, we're going to be talking about fatigue, if you tend to be struggling with that. And we'll see if we can fit in some other topics like incontinence. We'll see if we how much time we got. And we have a quack report. But before we get to all that great stuff, big salute and semper five to right to righteous men and women in the uni, in the uniform. Yep, in the military, lifting them up in prayer as always, lifting all this nation up in prayer. I'm praying God's hand be on this nation, right? And He protects the election, and His will be done. That's what we have to seek his face and ask for. And I've got a little something to read to to you from the devotional today. Uh, When things seem to be going all wrong, 
stop and affirm your trust in me. Calmly bring these matters to me and leave them in my capable hands. Then simply do the next thing. Stay in touch with me through thankful, trusting prayer, resting in my sovereign control. Rejoice in me. Exalt in the God of your salvation. As you trust in me, I make your feet like the feet of a deer to enable you to walk and make progress upon your high places of trouble, suffering, and responsibility. Now, that's a paraphrase from Joe 13, Psalms 18, and I hope you enjoyed that. And, you know, that word is empowering. It'll calm your spirit if you're a little anxious. So uh, dust off the Bible and get in there. And without further ado, let's do the quack report. Thank you, Frank. Okay, first up in the quack report, uh, going to the UK, Britons. Guess what they're doing? They're seeking a digital detox. Yeah, they're spending an average of 25 hours per week online. That's right. One-third of Britons have undertaken what is called a digital detox. They're ditching their smartphones and their tablets and their computers. They want to wean themselves off the online addiction, and they want to do more in the real world with real friends and real families in intimate one-on-one, you know, relationships. Now, there's 15 million adults that are doing this, uh, taking a break from the Internet. Adults um, spend way too much between 25 to 29 hours a week. Uh, Those aged 16 to 24 spend 26 hours a week. Uh, and teens about the same, so they're looking for a better tech life balance. Hey, I like it, you know. All right, what else is up in the quacker? Uh, If you're overweight, it says it makes your brain age an average of 10 years. Research by the University of Cambridge found that the brains of overweight or obese people look 10 years older than they actually were compared to their um, healthy weight counterparts. Study uh, scanned 473 brains and um, they found a a, a difference in brain structure in the overweight people compared to their counterparts who were not overweight. Uh, They said the volume of white matter and the tissue that connects areas of the left and right hemisphere of the brain, which are your communication regions, seem to have shrunk according to the studies. Uh, So shrinkage of the brain, they say, is associated with a higher risk of cognitive decline and dementia. So the Cambridge study said that they didn't find any difference in cognitive skill sets with participants that were uh, underweight with the IQ test. And uh, they said naturally brains can shrink as we age, but scientists are recognizing that the obesity is having an effect earlier than it should Also, um, they also link conditions like diabetes, cancer, and heart disease can also affect the brain uh, aging element. So researchers are looking into that middle-aged and onwards is what they've noticed on the brain shrinkage. All right, (laughs) moving along in the quack report. Um, Anybody out there eating soy? Well, they say if you eat soy, you're going to look five years older, according to this research, because in the 90s, soy was the bomb all over the supermarket scene, promises, you know, a lot of health benefits. 
Uh, but once considered a indust- minor industrial crop, you know, soy in the 1913 was just nothing on, not even on the on the on the radar. But now, soy covers 72 million acres of farmland. So, Soy Foods Association of America says soy protein um, uh, is an isolated thing. So, soy protein isolate is what you, they consider a dry powder food ingredient. You see it in a lot of foods on the shelf. And uh, it's from soybean, and it's 90 to 95% soybean protein, um, and it's almost almost all carbohydrate and uh, calorie-free. But the soy protein isolate is not the same as soy because it's an isolated protein from it. But you see this product in protein bars, meal replacement shakes, bottled fruit drinks, soups, sauces, meats, baked goods, breakfast cereals, and even some dietary supplements will have there in there. So soy might be hiding also in your foods as another ingredient because they've given it a different name. It's got aliases. So look for words like bouillon, natural flavor, and textured plant protein. It all could be soy, and so much of the soy is genetically modified now. Okay, so here are a few other names that soy tends to hide under. Monodiclyceride, uh, soya or uba, uh, textured soy flour or textured soy protein, uh, textured vegetable protein, lecithin, and MSG. So look for that. Last but not least in the quack report, uh, here's some of the grimiest uh, surfaces in, in public places you'll want to know about and avoid because, you know, we're get, kind of be coming into the flu season real soon here and spreading germs uh, from surfaces and objects in a public setting pretty easy to do and harder to avoid than we think. Okay, because we all know about, you know, knobs on doors, light switches, gas station pumps, bathroom surfaces, that kind of thing. But here's some things you may not have thought about. If you're going out to eat in a restaurant, the Journal of Medical Virology reports that germs, like cold and flu viruses, can survive up to 18 hours on hard surfaces. So they tend to wipe down the table at the restaurant, but they don't typically wipe off the menu that people are touching. And you don't want the menu to touch your flatware, okay? And after you hand the menu back to the waitress, you want to wash your hands, they say, because there's lots of cold and flu bugs on your menu. Also, those little lemon orange wedges or lime wedges that come with drinks or even lemon and water, if you ask for that. The Journal of Environmental Health discovered 70% of the restaurants had contaminated fruit bar uh, uh, product like microorganisms like E. coli, fecal bacteria, and other diseases were hanging all over that fruit. So opt for not having the garnish is what they recommend. Lastly, the condiment dispenser. Uh, We've heard about this. Uh, Many people don't wash their hands before eating or if they've gone to the restroom and they'll stick their hand in the condiment dispensers. And um, so even ketchup, the paper napkin holders, uh, toothpick holders, um, the holders for the sugar, salt, and pepper, all going to be carrying pathogens. So um, be careful out there. 
It's going to be an interesting flu season. And that wraps the quack report. Thank you, Frank. I have a customer who says, you know, if I want to get sick, I go out and eat. <laughs> um, he's serious. <laughs> he's serious. Every time you go out and eat, he gets cold or something. All right, we're going to talk about radiation, the radiation age that we live in. Uh, we live in a time where, you know, our infrastructure pulses, actually, with radiation and with what some consider consistent saturation per day of, of this radiation. So scientific inventions have, you know, provided a lot of mankind with numerous conveniences. So how did we get on the path of this electromagnetic radiation, also known as EMFs and Wi-Fi? Well, it seems to have begun in the late 1800s when Polish physicist Marie Curie, French physicist Henry, I think it's Becquerel, and German physicist Wilhelm Röntgen, they got together and they created uh, conducting experiments with electromagnetic currents. And they discovered new rays of light, and they called them X-rays. And adding elements of barium and uranium, they discovered all these new light rays and energy matter, later named radioactivity. So of which, you know, radio, radiology was developed from that. Now, Marie Curie continued with her radiation experiments, but then she died at the age of 67 from anemia, toxic plastic anemia from exposure to radiation. So the radiation killed her bones and her blood supply. And to this day, Curie's research papers and the cookbook that she was working on are in a shielded box as they're highly radioactive and unsafe to handle. So in the 19th century, we were put on a path we knew little about the health effects of this new electricity. So today we have a branch of modern medicine which utilizes radiation as a form of treatment. Now, is there a safe way to harness radiation? And should we use it? Well, science would say yes, but we're going to take a look. All right. You know the badge people wear when they're working in industries where there's lots of radiations and, you know, they got to measure their exposure? Well, anyone that knows someone who works around energy sources like that, it produces a lot of radiation, they're required to wear that radiation badge. For instance, places like, you know, nuclear power stations or x-ray techs at clinics and hospitals, they wear these little badges. So radiation causes cancer. And the International Agency for Research on Cancer, uh, part of the UN's World Health Organization, lists over 250 Class 2B carcinogens, and on the list is radiofrequency electromagnetic field as a cause of cancer. So your RF EMF is a cancer carcinogenic um, element. So this type of radiation comes from things like radios and TVs and microwaves and cell phones and your Wi-Fi. And if you haven't noticed, Wi-Fi is being installed in coffee shops, hotels, neighborhoods, airplanes, and schools. So the accumulative effect must be enormous, although no studies have claimed a risk. 
Now, according to the National Cancer Institute, the most common exposure to radiofrequency radiation is wireless communication devices and equipment. And they had provided a list. Cell phones, smart meters, any portable wireless device like a laptop or a laptop mouse, your TV, your radio, your broadcasting antennas, your satellite radar devices, your MRI devices, microwave ovens, cordless phones, cell phones, and base stations, and, of course, your Wi-Fi. So let's look at some of the studies because there have been a few, and I mean a few. Uh, You know, science has to have uh, a bunch uh, in order for them to be convinced of anything, but there have been some mixed reports that there is really not enough evidence to suggest that the low levels of frequent exposure to radiation is going to put us at risk of cancer. However, the National Cancer Institute has research on file on residential exposure or EMFs or electromagnetic frequencies showing a statistical significant association between this radiation and breast cancer. Uh, This was in the Medical Journal of Epidemiology, and this was in 2004. And let's see, also in the journal article, they said the workplace environment where workers are exposed to radiation such as in power stations or power line or telephone line workers, they have a higher rate of developing cancers such as leukemia, brain tumors, and breast cancer. And those serving in the military, it was stated, the Navy, the Air Force, are also at higher risk rates of cancer due to the radiation exposure from the electronics and the microwave-emitting equipment. And uh, this was in the National Cancer Institute. It stated this. This was um, an epidemiology journal, 2000, volume 11. It said employees of a large manufacturer of wireless communication products are not more likely to die from brain tumors or cancers of the I'm sorry, they are more likely to die of brain cancers and tumors of the lymphatic system and then the general population. So that was in the journal, and we should take note of that. Also, the World Health Organization asked the working group to review a mountain of evidence on static um, and low-frequency electromagnetic feels for the potential of cancer risk, and what they reported was that it is, quote, possibly carcinogenic to humans. Wow. So what about the children, though? Um, We have a lot of kids. Are, you know, they more susceptible to this stuff? Well, we know that the very young are more susceptible to toxic chemicals and fumes, so, you know, should radiation be any different? Well, it isn't. The Journal of Microscopy and Ultrastructure did a report on, quote, the title of the report was Why Children Absorb More Microwave Radiation Than Adults and the Consequences. And it stated that children do absorb more microwave radiation than adults do. And the consequences from the study revealed that because their bodies are smaller, their skulls are thinner, and their brain tissue more absorbent, they are at a greater risk than adults for developing cancers. Now, fetuses are more vulnerable than children, and that pregnant women should avoid radiation as much as possible. And studies recommend, studies are recommending that adolescent girls, maybe you know some of these girls, they put their cell phones in their bra or maybe in their headscarf. They say, don't do that. 
don't do that. And there is plenty of data warning that overexposure to microwave radiation produces serious health risks. So experts state that the exposure limits are unacceptable and need to be revised. Now, Mark Gibbs, he was asked um, the question, and he did a report in Network uh, World um, uh, magazine, I guess, or journal. He said, uh, Wi-Fi is killing us slowly, he says. He, he mentioned the Huntersville, North Carolina Wi-Fi incident. He says it was installed in the schools, and several female students developed a rare form of eye cancer called ocular melanoma. So health authorities state they don't know what is causing it. Uh, they don't know what's causing this cancer, and it usually only occurs in patients over the age of 50. So the community requested an environmental occupation study and called in specialist Dr. Samuel Milham. He's an epidemiologist from California. And this is what he stated. He said, exposure to dirty electricity and electromagnetic signals meets the criteria. So there's this solid blanket of signal we're under. Uh, they call them runaway currents or rogue electricity in our modern society where they have constant streams colliding, reflecting, escaping, and magnifying our exposure to dirty electricity. So for everyone, and especially children, there's a risk of a cumulative effect. And Dr. Milham says this, it creates a steady bombardment of electromagnetic signals and we develop health problems. We are swimming in an electrical chemical soup, he says, end of quote. And Dr. Milham uh, has seen the rate of various forms of cancer in school children explode due to the high electrical impulses in classrooms. He reports that he's really not the most popular person with the school boards or the city council members. He says some people can tolerate the dirty electricity better than others, but over time, the body's worn down and develops cancer. And Stuart Simonson, he's a chemical and environmental engineer, he says that the Huntersville, North Carolina eye cancer case may be the result of dirty electricity from the Doppler radar station that's near Huntersville, and it's owned by the Federal Aviation Administration. Simonson feels that these radar stations turn humans into antennas, and he states that he has seen research that dirty electricity also gives animals and sea life disease. Hmm. So we're at a point where we need to be proactive and protective like never before. So, um, you know, parents, you need to be more protective of your children than ever, and we need to be more sensitive to the devices that can create weaknesses in our body and invite disease. Now, a while back, I purchased a rad meter, um, uh, and a few years ago, uh, I used this meter. Well, I still use it today occasionally. I measure the dirty electricity at my work and home to see, um, you know, what the limit of exposure I have. And I have been also fighting my electric company regarding a smart reader meter, and I still have my analog meter on there. Uh, I measured my neighbor's smart meter, and it pulses every four seconds. So if a smart meter is right outside your bedroom wall, it's time to move your bedroom. Also, I like herbs that can really draw out the radioactive particles from the body. So organ cleansing is really not an option anymore. It's a must for this day and age. So you want to call the folks at Apothecary Herbs to order your organ cleansing kit, and you'll reduce your risk of the dirty electricity. 
So you can call to order. The number is 866-229-3663. It's organ cleansing. Just ask about that. The international number is 704-885-0277. Of course, you can go online and check it out under their organ cleansing tab at thepowerherbs.com. That's where your healthcare options just became endless. And don't forget to check out the dandelion root tincture for the cancer risk. Hmm? And money-saving coupons are also on their website, so don't forget to utilize those. You might as well. And uh, if you want to just call, call toll-free at 866-229-3663. Get a free product catalog. That's 866-229-3663. Because if you're serious about herbs, you need apothecary herbs. Alrighty. Um, if you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for the newsletters. Oh, they're free too. You get those each and every week. American Survival goes out on Tuesday, and the Health Quest goes out on Friday. So if you want your Health Quest tomorrow, sign up tonight and get it added to the list. All right, we have a few minutes here, so we're going to talk about a little bit of incontinence. Um, People call me all the time about incontinence, and they just don't know what to do. They've been to the doctor. Doctor can't help them there. They don't want to do the drugs anymore because nothing seems to be working. And not all of them are baby boomers. You'd be amazed who's calling me. So they also want to um, get rid of the incontinence and strengthen themselves, you know, cleanse. And you can do both at the same time. Uh, So about uh, 13 million Americans have incontinence, and they don't want to be wearing adult diapers. I wouldn't want to either. So, and it's not normal as we age to have to do that. So, pharmaceuticals, you know, are trying to, you know, push the incontinence uh, drug onto onto their patients. Forty uh, percent of women over the age of sixty seem to be suffering from incontinence, and more women do because of, you know they were the childbearing uh, person, and there's a lot that goes on, you know, in the pelvic area, and uh, they seem to have a little bit more trouble there. There's a couple of types of incontinence. Um, there's the leakage type where, you know, if you cough or laugh or sneeze, you might have a little discharge. And then there's the strong, sudden, urgent need, uh, uh, followed by instant, involuntary loss of urine. So those are the two things. Um, now, if you're in Japan, <laughs> they just love the adult diapers, even though they don't have incontinence. They just don't want to stop and waste time at the bathroom. So, um, but you want to restore normal function if you have an incontinence issue. Now, this is different than a UTI, which is a urinary tract infection. If you have a urinary tract infection, you usually have burning, this added discomfort. Um, And uh, so when you urinate, you have this burning. Also, your urine may have a different odor to it. So you definitely want to have that checked. And your urine can be murky looking because if you get a lot of white blood cells from an infection, which is a urinary tract infection, then... That's what's going to do. It's going to make the urine look murky. So there's herbs for that too, though. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, There's a lot of uh, drug-resistant pathogens for the UTI, and a lot of the antibiotics aren't working anymore anyway. So we want to get rid of this. We want to strengthen the bladder wall, strengthen the urethra. We want to calm down irritated bladder wall nerve endings. We want to get rid of the pathogen because we don't want it traveling up to the kidneys. We do not want a kidney infection. Oh, no, no, no. So we're going to nip this in the bud and take care of it. And it's easier than you think to do. And one or two dates, it's gone. People are amazed. 
They're just like, wow, I feel so much better. And it was easy. Absolutely. God's herbs are good. I can't take all the credit. I see by the clock I'm going to have to take a little break. And when I come back, I'm going to tell you what I would do if I was you, if you have incontinence or urinary tract infection, because I do the same for both, actually. It's easy. It's not hard. It's empowering. And you'll have that power. When we come back, I'll show you. We'll be right back. to the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. Is your PSA count high? Half of all men over 50 have an enlarged prostate. You can shrink your prostate without harmful drugs or risky surgery. The secret to healing the prostate is to cleanse the prostate and the liver. Call Apothecary Herbs to ask about the prostate kit for a comprehensive way to heal and soothe your prostate. Educate yourself on how easy it can be to disinfect, cleanse, and restore your prostate glands. Call Apothecary Herbs for the prostate kit and successfully reduce swelling, inflammation, dissolve stones, and cleanse the blood to obtain the results you need. Money-back guarantee with every purchase. Call the experts in organ cleansing. Call Apothecary Herbs now for the prostate kit and empower yourself. Toll free, 866-229-3663 or international callers, 704-875-8010. That's toll free, 866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. trust anyone wearing a mask, robbers, cattle rustlers, or doctors. I listen to Herb Talk Live. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. American Voice. 
Coast Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom talking about this, you know, incontinence issue. And, you know, healthy people have healthy nervous systems. And you got to have a healthy nervous system in order to have a healthy bladder because you have this stretching sensation and you have nerve endings in the bladder wall, and it alerts you to the urge to urinate. So the average person can hold about two cups of urine. So the ability to store this urine really depends on the strength of your sphincter muscle in the bladder the nerve endings in the bladder wall, whether you have the strength of the bladder wall to, um, it's called the distursor muscle, to contract, and also to help you force urine out when you're ready to use the bathroom. So what typically causes incontinence? Well, there's lots of things. Sometimes medications can cause it, weight gain, uh, urinary tract infections, prostate infection, bowel obstructions, and constipation can do that. Also, other diseases like multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, and some other problems in the neurological area can also cause incontinence. So prescription drugs that tend to lead us down the road to incontinence uh, have the side effect, um, like diuretics, tranquilizers, antidepressants, uh, some diabetic meds not controlling the diabetes correctly can cause this. And over-the-counter cough and cold medicines, antihistamines, allergy products, um, they can also produce an incontinence issue. And aside from these drugs, of course, the weight gain, infections, or constipation issues um, can also be uh, layered in there with central nervous uh, not working well. So there's lots of things that can cause incontinence. 
But usually if you go to your doctor, your medical treatment uh, for that is going to be corticosteroids, uh, beta interferon, uh, immunosuppressant therapies, and uh, stuff like that. But it's not really going to get it why you have incontinence. So there are some healthier options out there uh, you want to do to avoid uh, constipation and getting infections and things like that. A uh, healthy lifestyle, try to avoid a lot of sugary drinks. Uh, a lot of the sugar can encourage microbes to collect and build up in the urinary tract area and irritate the nerve endings of the bladder wall. Those microbes can give you a UTI in a skinny minute. Um, so basically, I like to use a couple of herbs that help with the uh, cleansing of the kidney bladder urinary tract area, and it's called our Kidney Bladder Cleanse Kit. And you'll find that at the PowerHerbs.com website. And it's a combo tea tincture. It's very good. It's a very comprehensive cleanse. Um, and it's excellent for UTIs and incontinence. Um, so strengthening and cleansing, that's what you do. You strengthen. You don't weaken the body, but you cleanse and strengthen, and the body can heal itself. So you can check it out at PowerHerbs.com. Uh, a kit is about enough for a two-week kind of cleanse, very gentle and effective. You do not have to stay near a bathroom. Uh, you can still carry out your normal activities, and um, it's about $68. So for less than a cost to an office visit and a copay, you can uh, get your, uh, well, you can fix it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. All right. I know right at the break, my engineer saying, I thought you were going to talk about fatigue, and I am. According to the CDC, we have like half a million to a million Americans that you know, report they have a fatigue issue to the level of chronic fatigue. So the condition is kind of prevalent, and medicine likes to label it different ways. They'll call it chronic fatigue syndrome or myelectic encephalitis, uh, systematic exertion intolerance disease, and on and on and on. But it all comes down to, I'm tired, and I don't get anything done. Um, it seems more women than men suffer from fatigue issues, according to the experts. And, of course, if the men have it, it's underreported because guys don't like to complain or report these things. Uh, and it's not usually on, uh, just an age-related thing, but typically you see it more with people between 40 to 59. Okay, so the disease is really um, in a classification of um, doctors really don't know what's causing it per se, but they just treat symptoms of the fatigue, and that's it. So let's look at some of the triggers that can cause the fatigue to rear its ugly head. Uh, a lot of times you can uh, feel pretty well, but then you have muscle pain and memory problems and headaches and joint pain. You can't sleep well. You may have a sore throat and tender glands. Um, this is all the chronic fatigue syndrome that people report on. Research says that, you know, it's, uh, usually comes about after a bout with the flu. And so they think it may be viral related, but they really don't have a clue what causes chronic fatigue. Um, uh, if you ask your medical physician what causes it, they'll admit they just don't know. So if your doctor really doesn't have a clue what's causing it, how do you suppose he's going to go about fixing it or curing it? He's not. He's just going to he's going to approach it by lessening your symptoms as much as possible so you're more comfortable living with your disease. But that's not how I roll. I don't like that. I don't like a symptom management, disease management. I like 
the cure, the C-U-R-E. It's a four-letter word to uh, the folks out there in medicine, but hey, uh, that's what I shoot for. So your doctor's not going to lose any sleep, but you're not feeling well. Because uh, the average cost of these treatments for chronic fatigue, fatigue are going to do him pretty well. Office visits range between 50 to $200, depending on your insurance. And then you're transferred to a series of specialists to, you know, find out what's wrong with you. And those uh, treatments can increase in course. You can get physical therapy. That could be 50 to $350 per visit. You can have cognitive behavioral therapy, 125 to 250 per session. You can have drug therapy and antidepressants, $8 to $90 per prescription. And according to the University of Maryland Medical Center, the cognitive therapy, behavioral therapy, will entail a minimum of 6 to 20 hours of treatment, costing you anywhere from $1,000 to $5,000. So any person with cognitive chronic fatigue who seeks help, from modern medicine is going to receive drugs for pain, drugs for sleep, drugs for depression. They're going to be referred to therapy clinics and massage uh, and um, physical therapy experts. And um, medicine says there's no cure, so you're going to be on this treatment train for life. And who can afford that? Nobody. Also, if you get chronic fatigue, sometimes other conditions kind of hitchhike along. Um, a lot of people say they get irritable bowel syndrome, they get vertigo, they get um, heightened allergies, um, they get cold sweats and chills, um, their vision's affected. Um, in other words, their eyes are really sensitive to light. Um, they get anxiety and panic attacks. So there's a lot of things that come along with this. And also people complain about a range of motion with their skills. It diminishes. They have pain in their joints. Um, their cognitive abilities are lessened. They have trouble learning new things. And um, and some doctors uh, look at it as, uh, you know, early dementia, but that's not what it is. It's not. Medical uh, research also says that patients with chronic fatigue also develop what is a condition called fibromyalgia within a year or two of being diagnosed with the chronic fatigue. Well, Understand that chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia are sister conditions. They do kind of accompany one another, one another, but you can get rid of both of them, and you can get rid of them the same way. You get you treat one, you get rid of the other kind of thing. All right, so a lot of doctors say, well, this thing is complicated. Modern medicine says chronic fatigue is complex. I want to tell you it is not. Researchers at DePaul University of Chicago with the Healthcare for Women International Group, they did a study on uh, chronic fatigue and the mortality rate of chronic fatigue. A lot of people haven't heard about this. The patient study uh, said that 166 um, deceased chronic fatigue patients showed uh, more women than men were affected by the disease. We already knew that. They also found that patients with chronic fatigue more likely to die of heart failure cancer, and suicide by the age of 59.6. So they're not even reaching 60. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're in pain, chronic pain, for years, let's say, you know, you get it at 40 or you get it at 50, I mean, you know, how much pain can anybody endure? They also found that the average age for chronic fatigue patients who died of cancer or suicide much younger than the general population. That's healthy. So 
between the ages of 39.3 and 47.8. That's when they were checking out. So the medical literature does notes that chronic fatigue offers high risk of mortality, yet there have been no extensive investigations into it. So because medicine concludes that long-term chronic fatigue is possibly a psychiatric condition, you know, because, you know, they can't fix it physically, so that's what it is. Health professionals are often split on the issue that chronic fatigue is really a problem with your mind. It's not really a physical condition. And um, that secondary condition um, can also cause death. You know, chronic fatigue or feeling tired all the time, according to Dr. Sarah Myhill, she's a physician in the UK, she says it's, a, it's evidence of a powerhouse of your cells that are not being supplied with enough energy. The problem is not in your head, she says. She thinks it's in your thyroid. Well, if you feel fatigue, it's, it's not a good idea to ignore it. Um, you may have a thyroid issue. You may have a heart problem. You may have, you know, uh, anemia. There's a lot of things that can cause the fatigue. But the real chronic fatigue that we're talking about, it's not caused by those things. I'm talking about the classic chronic fatigue that typically people get after being stressed out or having uh, the flu or, you know, an illness. We're going to get to what it is. Uh, of course, you know, change in the lifestyle is going to be helpful if, if you have chronic fatigue. Um, now, preventing chronic fatigue is really going to be your best investment because you don't ever want to get chronic fatigue. It's very disabling unless you know how to, to you know, restore yourself. Most people think that if they eat healthy, um, they have an inventory of the classic foods, they're going to be fine. But a lot of the foods they have, they don't realize there's secret assassins in their foods that are undermining their health, healthy eating plans. So you really have to be discerning. There could be some hidden poisons in your, in your foods, especially if you're getting a lot of processed or handy, quick, fixed meal kind of stuff. You really have to read. You really have to read your um, ingredient list. Um, there's a huge difference, for instance, between grass-fed and grain-fed beef, right? So the enzymes and the nutrition is very different. So um, you, you're not going to have the amino acids uh, to feed the microchondria, which are your en energy packs of your cells. And the reason is when you have chronic fatigue, when that's happening, your digestion isn't working. Okay, so in order for your cells to have energy, you have to, it has to have amino acids. In order for you to have amino acids, your digestion has to extract that from protein foods. So here's a universal nutrient. Um, we have a lot of cells in the body. Energy fuels the cells. And here's the universal uh, nutrient. Uh, you want to think of the universal nutrient uh, as something that is a biochemical operator. Um, it helps hey, your heart to beat, it supports your immune system, hormonal system. So you want to make sure that if you don't have the universal nutrients going into the body, then you're going to have health problems, including chronic fatigue. So you want to swap out your diet. So get, get to the um, healthy diet. Now, people with chronic fatigue, wow, it's basically your digestion's not extracting the protein out of your foods. And a lot of times 
it's because they they have the gut floras that are out of whack. You have 400 of them. And if you get an overgrowth of the yeast, uh, then you can't extract the protein from your food. And a lot of times people get an overgrowth of yeast in the digestive system after they've been on a prescription of, let's say, antibiotics, okay? Because antibiotics will kill all the floras except the yeast. And you want to be real careful using colloidal silver internally as well because that's so powerful. It kills all the floras, including the yeast. And um, you have to get those floras back, okay? Or you can't digest anything. So um, what you want to do, because if you have the yeast overgrowth going on, um, it likes an alkaline environment. That's what yeast will thrive on. It thrives on dairy products. It thrives on sugar. It thrives on carbohydrates. Uh, so it's anything that converts to sugar, so your alcohol, it thrives on that. So you need to balance those gut floors. And the way to do that is you want to put more um, fermented foods into the digestive tract, so pickled beets, kimchi, sauerkraut, that kind of stuff. And also you want to eat raw vegetables or slightly stir-fried. And if you're and you want to stay away from carbohydrates. So if you're going to have rice, have brown rice. It's a complex carb, and it doesn't convert to sugar as readily as, let's say, white rice. So you want to stay on this very basic diet until your energy comes back. And how long will it take? People ask me that. Well, sometimes, you know, it takes um, a week or a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months, just depending on how long you've had chronic fatigue. So you want to stay on that, and uh, you want to avoid those sugars. Remember the sugars and the carbs. You want to avoid those. And no dairy because it's too mucousy and it coats the system and it makes it hard. Uh, so you just stay on that until your energy comes back. When your energy starts to come back, don't go crazy with the carbs and the sugar. You go to the Mediterranean diet. You have more omega-3 fatty acids and uh, you're going to have less risk of being overweight, having diabetes, heart disease, or cancer. So that's how you get rid of chronic fatigue syndrome. It's diet-driven, um, and a lot of people get on, let's say, a long-term course of antibiotics, let's say for a sinus infection. This is typically what I hear. And then they get the chronic fatigue. And unfortunately... Uh, I used to work for a neurology center that had a lot of chronic fatigue patients. And these people would be very faithful. They'd line up for their pain injection because the pain was so bad in their joints because they were basically starving because they couldn't digest anything. So uh, you, you have to get that pH balanced. Uh, you have to get the alkalinity out of there, and you have to put more acidic foods in, okay? And, uh, and you can get that balance back and you can get rid of the fibromyalgia and the chronic fatigue. They go together. And uh, one product that I can recommend is um, called All-in-One. It's uh, organic apple cider vinegar with herbs uh, that are aged in it um, that will boost immune system function. People on chronic fatigue need that. So you can check that out. It's at the powerherbs.com website. And once your energy comes back, it's a good idea to do your bowel cleanse. Um, to remove the pharmaceutical residues from the antibiotics you probably were taking and all the other drugs for chronic fatigue. 
So check it out at thepowerherbs.com, thepowerherbs.com, 866-229-3663, and uh, give a call and get a catalog. And, uh, you know, take the power back, you know. You want a cure. You don't want a crutch. You want to have your life back. You don't want to live more comfortably with a disease. Who wants to do that? That's crazy. All right. We've got a few minutes. I thought we'd talk about uh, some herbs here. What are we going to talk about? Lavender? Ooh, I love lavender. It's very pretty. I love to put it in infusers and smell lavender throughout the house. Um, And you have to ask yourself, you know, our creator God, you know, made lots of these great herbs. And lots of these foods and herbs are packed full of lots of nutritional benefits and aromas. Um, You know, our herbs are foods and they're perfect. Uh, They're perfectly balanced in a chemistry way. Um, So everyone is acquainted with this enchanting fragrance that lavender gives us. A lot of people like to put them in scented pillows, and they say it helps them sleep better, and this is true. Uh, They add them to soaps and deodorants and detergents, sachets, put it in your, you know, sock drawer. And lavender really is just more than a pretty-smelling flowering plant. It has healing power. That's right. It has that aromatic evergreen uh, feel for it. Um, it's a it's half shrub and half plant. Uh, it's part of the mint family, and it has these blossoms that come out white and then turn blue and purple. And the flowers are often used to make lavender oil. And lavender is indigenous to the Mediterranean, but now it's cultivated everywhere. And a lot of people look at it as an ornamental plant that planted in their flower bed. So there are 39 species of lavender, and used all over Europe, Africa, Asia, Mediterranean, and they even use it as a culinary ingredient. I don't know if you've caught some of those cooking shows where they'll just kind of pinch off a little fresh lavender from the flower garden and throw it in and uh, give their 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 creation uh, some sort of special fragrance and taste, which is cool. Um, but down through the ages, lavender has been one of the most popular in herb gardens um, and because of its medicinal properties. Uh, the word lavender is English. It's taken from the old French lavandre, which is from the Latin word lavir, uh, which means to wash. So our ancient ancestors would use lavender tea to cleanse with. And uh, lavender also has been referred to as a lavandula, which is thought to be derived from the Latin word livre, which means blush or bluish. And most popular species of lavender is the English lavender and French lavender or the Spanish lavender. So what are the health benefits? Well, a lot of people use lavender oil. Um, If you get some commercially, a lot of the lavender oil um, is grown and used in production. Sometimes it's imported, but lavender doesn't have to be in an oil to have medicinal benefits. For instance, this fragrant plant offers antiseptic and anti-inflammatory properties. And this is why you see it added to skincare products and cosmetics. And science has declared that Dutch lavender, which is called lavadin, it's a variety of lavender, it has higher tannin content and more potent fragrance to it. 
Now, this variety is also known for its larger flower, and it's easier to grow compared to English lavender. And therefore, a lot of people prefer it as a mass production lavender to make oil from. So if you're using lavender oil, it'll be from the Dutch lavender. So, however, the lavender lavender, although it brings more potent fragrance, it tends not to be as sweet as the other varieties. But in 1995, the Lancet Journal said that uh, the lavender has effectiveness against insomnia better than the medications for insomnia. Check that out. Uh, so people who used lavender slept longer and got to uh, sleep faster and were less restless while they were sleeping than those using sleeping medications. So uh, typically used, most people use lavender as a, an air uh, aromatherapy or to soothe away a headache or to relax the mind and sleep better. But it's also a good to use to soothe insect bites and stings and, and burns. Now, during the World War II, hospitals would use lavender oil with the essential oils to purify and diminish surfaces from germs. They would use it in vapors also as an antibacterial property to cleanse the air and to treat flu, urinary tract infections, whooping cough. And uh, in 2010, Journal of the Internal Clinical uh, Pharmacology said that lavender um, soothes away anxiety. And they're really not sure how it does that. Double-blind study said that um, it, it has an activating anti-anxiety sleep aid in it. And it just works great. Neurological studies say the same thing. Um, so you can check that out. And uh, lavender is cool. We've added it to the Skin Poultice. Uh, the, that's a Skin Poultice product that the PowerHerbs.com has for skin bites, bee stings, uh, scrapes, um, you know, venomous bites, poison ivy, oak, sumac. So it's in there. And it makes this product smell just delicious. It's just great. So lavender. Who knew? It's more than just a pretty smelling plant, right? I can see I am out of time, but I will be back next week. If you have any questions, call me at thepowerherbs.com at 866-229-3663. We'll chat it up. I'll hopefully answer your questions. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure disease, and seek medical advice if you dare from a licensed medical physician before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Who 
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. and you're listening to Financial Survival. Today, after the market report, Wendy Wilson from Apothecary Herbs will be joining us for the first segment of the program. We rescheduled Wendy uh, from Wednesday to Thursday due to Greg Hunter joining us yesterday. And then for the balance of the hour, we're also... We will have another change. Frank Steffen of the American Voice Radio will be sitting in for Aladask. Um, as last night when they were doing the program with James Corbett, there were technical problems connecting with Al. So Frank kindly offered to interview James Corbett. And so that will be uh, taking up the uh, second and last segment of the program today. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, so let's get started right away. I know Wendy has a lot of information that she wants to share with you today. And today is August 13th, 2015. It's Thursday. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Well, you know, gold took a little bit of a breather today, and uh, but really not so bad. It was down $11.30 today at 11.15. You have silver down 15 at 15.49. Platinum was down $9 at 996, and palladium was down 11 at 600 and twenty dollars. I wasn't even sure why palladium rose as much as it did yesterday, but uh, a little pressure on all the uh, metals today. And you have on the USDX today. Of course, that was able to come back a little bit stronger today. Point one nine on the USDX at ninety six forty nine. Crude oil was up earlier in the day, and they reversed at one oh nine to the downside. That's forty two. 21, 42.21 for crude oil. I don't know if anybody um, 
has noticed if their gasoline prices have gone down, and uh, it doesn't seem like mine barely budged uh, from where I'm located, but uh, but those oil prices sure did, and uh, perhaps we'll get a little bit of a breather between the summer vacation time and the winter heating uh, time, uh, but... Uh, uh, we'll see what happens to the oil prices, and let's go to the paper markets right away. You have the Dow is up a few points today, and let me bring that screen right up here. As slow as it is, you have the Dow. You know, it was um, up, down, and you know, it was uh, managed five points, seventeen thousand four hundred and eight. Going into a weekend tomorrow should prove to be interesting. The Nasdaq was down 10 at 5,033. The S&P was down 2 at 2,083. The 10-year yield, 2.19%. The euro, a little pressure on that, 0.11 at 1.11. And European markets, you know, pretty much the same thing. Germany was down, was up a little under 1%. Same way with Hong Kong, Japan, London, barely changed, was down two points. So with a little, very little active trading today should make Friday an interesting day. So make sure you tune in with us tomorrow. Rob West will be joining us with some updates uh, for the program. He'll be joining us for the uh, second and third program on Friday. But for now, let's say hello to Wendy Wilson from Apothecary Herbs. Good afternoon, Wendy. Hey, Melody. How are you doing? Oh, just fine, and thank you for uh, schedule, rescheduling uh, uh, your sure. time with us. No problem. Um, thought we'd talk about phytopower today, the phytonutrients that are in our plants and foods. Um, you know, because a lot of us have this basic understanding of nutrition, you know, in particular the role of protein and carbs and fats. But, you know, a lot of us don't really talk about the phytonutrients in our foods you know, unless we're studying nutrition. So why do we need phytonutrients and what can they do for our health? Well, you find them in your plants. They're actually chemicals which have few or zero calories. And your body likes to receive these vital amounts of phytonutrients from your organic plant chemicals uh, when we eat the fruits and vegetables. Uh, so it's essential, actually, if we expect our immune system to be healthy and working uh, to protect us from diseases. So uh, there's a lot of medical research, Melody, going on now with the essential role that phytonutrients play in keeping us healthy. And one discovery they've made is that these chemicals in plants offer this anti-mugenic or free radical protection. So it's kind of impressive because when you have that, it, the phytonutrients will empower your immune system to function much better. And research is telling us that the phytonutrient-rich plants that contain the antioxidants also have plant sterols, tannins, pectin, cellulose, mucilage, enzymes, and non-starchy carbohydrates along with lecithin. So do you have any idea what happens when you, you ingest a bunch of phytonutrients? Do you have any guess at all? Well, you tell us, Wendy. Well, what happens is you get these antioxidant chemicals going, and it makes it harder for disease like cancer to take hold. So this antioxidant inhibits the cell mutations caused by the free radicals to de that want to develop 
and it helps protect you from cancer. So your cells have these receptors on them, and these free radicals can damage the receptors in your cell DNA, giving cancer a foothold. But the antioxidants in your plants, the phytonutrients, they bind to your cell receptors and block that mutation from happening. So in addition, an additional benefit when you eat lots of phytonutrient-rich plants is you get that free radical damage under check. Uh, the cell mutation doesn't occur. You get antioxidants there that can even reverse damage if you have some already occurring, which I think is awesome. That's now, some of the names... I know. Some of the names of your antioxidants are things like flavonoids, anthocyanins, polyphenolic, and you find this in like your organic fruits and vegetables. Some of your herbs have them as well. Uh, some other examples is your, your carotinian in your carrots, your spinach, even oregano. Um, you've got your lycopene in your tomatoes, your grapefruit, watermelon. Uh, you have your ver- reverse of tall foods like grapes, berries, peanuts. Um, broccoli and kale is also in the list. And, of course, your vitamin-rich A, E, and C antioxidants, you find them in large amounts in your vegetables, your fruit, and also herbs. So guess what? These sterols are really important uh, as a photonutrient when you find them in these plants. Um, what happens is they block the absorption of you getting too much cholesterol. And it also helps your glands with respect to testosterone. So this is great in regard to guys with prostate issues, and also for women, uh, they can reduce the risk of breast, uterine, and ovarian cancers when they get a lot of these um, sterols in these phytonutrient-rich plants. Now, the pectin and the tannins and the mucilage and all these fibers also will improve our colon transit time and prevent a reabsorption of toxins and the likelihood of us getting cancer of the colon. So it reduces your risk of cancer. So your phytonutrients get a big hand, big round of applause. Uh, some of the phytonutrients that you find in herbs that are really high and um, have uh, lots of vitamin D, which is really important because we have also learned through scientific research, people with cancer have low levels of vitamin D. Uh, so dandelion root has an overabundance of these antioxidants. And so um, you can check that out. It helps also with, you know, a little bit of cholesterol in the blood and things like that. Uh, it, is, it has a lot of bitter compounds, and that means it moves fluids of the body, like bile and so forth. Now, get this, Melody. Dandelion has sufficient vitamin A. It has 338 times the recommended daily allowance per dose. It is so awesome. So if you have an eye condition, a skin condition, um, mucous membranes are a problem, you definitely want to get some natural vitamin A this way without all the risk of synthetic vitamin A. And it also uh, wards off cancer because of there's something in it. They're really not sure what it is, according to Windsor Medical School, what is in dandelion that makes cancer cells commit suicide but leaves healthy cells alone, which is a whole lot better than chemo, which, you know, kills everything. So um, check it out. You know, my, my grandfather, you know, his family was farmers, and, and I remember him going out into the yard and pulling dandelions, and uh, he'd, you know, chop up some potatoes, and, and, he, and he knew which dandelions to pull. He just didn't go out and pull them. There were certain ones he pulled he didn't pull. And um, the, um, you what know, he would year, always... What time of year was this? Did he, did you, do you remember? Um, I couldn't say. I think it was more to the... Well, I don't think dandelion is out there in the fall, is it? 
Mm, it, so do it's you need to be this? Yeah, it's past its bloom, obviously, yeah. when you get to, you know, the September area, which is going to start in fall, because all the nutrition goes to the root when the bloom is off, okay? Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of times you'll see, you know, people put dandelion flowers in their salad or in their tea, but that's usually in the summer months when you get some of those uh, photonutrients right there in the flower. Can you actually get it from the flower, too? Well, if you get it uh, when it's blooming, you get some. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're going to use the but root, I, wait I until think he fall. Pulled, I think he pulled it before they actually bloomed. Okay, yeah, so in the, in the early spring, then. Spring, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, well, then most of the nutrition would still have been in the root then. And the thing of it is, the, the people in those days, you don't, you don't, I mean, you didn't hear of cancer. Right. I mean, yeah. you, just, you just didn't hear because they ate so much. They, you know, they... So many people grew their own food. I remember helping him with the garden. We had a huge garden that, uh, and you know, we went out and we picked. And uh, not only that, it was a great memory, you know, that I can. Uh, I know. But um, you mentioned vitamin D. What yeah. is the best way to absorb vitamin D? If you have low levels of vitamin D, what's the best way to pump them up? Well, I would definitely avoid the synthetic uh, vitamin D that people are buying. And, you know, you could get it, obviously, when you're in the sun, your, your collagen converts that. But you can get it from uh, omega-3 fatty fish like salmon, mackerel, sardines. And, of course, some of your uh, plants, like your dandelion, have high levels of vitamin D in there. So you can, you can tap into those sources as well. Um, so you, uh, when you look at dandelion, along with the, you know, uh, antioxidants and vitamin A and vitamin D. It also has lots of uh, vitamin uh, E and zinc in there. So these are like a super oxidative uh, enzyme, which, um, you know, really is, 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 is a, well, I guess a cancer buster, if you will. Uh, they're not sure what's in it, uh, the uh, me- mechanism that makes the uh, cancer cell, mm-hmm. you know, just implode and die. They'll, they're working on it. They really want to make a drug out of that. Uh, but in the meantime, you got dandelion. High amounts of vitamin K in there as well, 650% recommended daily allowance, so if you're low in K, which is really good if you've got osteoporosis or dementia or Alzheimer's because people with Alzheimer's have low K. Uh, so uh, not bad for a backyard weed, you know? <laughs> Go out and pull those weeds and then have lunch. <laughs> Well, another another uh, herb that's high in the photonutrients is thyme, T-H-Y-M-E. A lot of people are familiar with that as a culinary herb, but a lot of the uh, pioneers used it for whooping cough and a lot of congestive, like, cold uh, because of the antioxidant action, but they didn't know what was the antioxidants that were assisting them. Uh, but it has a lot of nutrition, has a lot of B-complex in there. Uh, so it also is reported to to fight cancer as well on some levels as well as fungus, which you know, now research is saying cancer is a fungus. So uh, you can pair your dandelion with your thyme if you want a deeper anti-cancer defense. So there's, uh, there's an option there. Now also with uh, ginger root, ginger root's on the list, um, a lot of B6, uh, a lot of B5, uh, helps balance uh, fluids in the cells, which is really important. It helps you fight antibacterial infections as well as, you know, get rid of nausea. And peppermint leaf, also on the list, be, as well as an anti, uh, uh, well, it's an analgesic. It helps kill pain, and that's that, that compound sensation of cool sensation when you take it in. Uh, so a lot of research on that. 
uh, antispasmodic, uh, helps with irritable bowel syndrome, lots of enzymes in that. So you've got tools here. And, um, you know, these are, these are the tools that don't have those uh, side effects that we're also worried about when we look at, you know, modern medicine and healthcare. So I think we need to get back to using these tools and feeling more confident with them. What about, you had mentioned uh, the salmon and the mackerel and sardines, and, and uh, Frank wrote me a question about what about toxins that are in the fish, like mercury, radiation? Is that something we need to worry about, or, or well, do I think, the benefits yeah, override that? I think, I think a lot of consumers are concerned about that, especially on the West Coast, and I understand that, and, uh, you know, rightly so. So I think people have shifted to, you know, um, more of an Atlantic harvest or a fish farm that is, uh, you know, managed well. The fish are, are fed, you know, fish food that they should have and not, you know, chicken uh, dung, if you will. <laughs> so uh, so you have, to, you have to be careful where this is coming from. So always ask, you know, if you're buying at the store, ask them where it's coming from. And they should be able to tell you where it was harvested, if it's wild caught and where it was it, and uh, if it's fish farm you know, what kind of resources or vendors are they using there? Uh, so I know a, a fish, um, you know, it's just terrible what's happening to the fish supply. I mean, it's really a threat. So we have to be real careful with what we're, what we're putting in our bodies as well. Yep. Huh. It we is amazing. Yeah. You have yeah. to be careful because, you know, we've got pharmaceutical companies that are really investing heavily in what we call plant profilers. And what they do is they look at these plant compounds, these phytonutrients, and they make a list. They isolate them. They dissect them. They make a monograph of them. And what they want to do essentially in the supplement industry is, you know, separate all these uh, plant chemicals that come in your herbs and spices and then uh, sell them back to you individually so you can reassemble them, which is insane. But that's what they want to do. Well, didn't also the Congress, didn't they... uh avoid passing the, the law to where all these uh, foods and so forth uh, list uh, where they're coming from? Yeah, see, that, see, keeping the consumer in the dark is not good, yep. right? It is just not good. So we have to do our due diligence and, you know, really be selective where we get our foods, our, our supplements, get whole food supplements, folks, you know, not isolated chemicals. So uh, less toxicity, more balance. The master chemist, our creator, knows what he's doing. So that's why I trust in the herbs. So it's really a shame that uh, a lot of countries don't have what we have. So we have to take advantage of these tools mm-hmm. and learn as much as we can. Um, so we do have a free catalog for folks if they want to call and get one. That is a toll-free number at 866-229-3663, 866-229-3663. And of course, the website's up there if they have access, thepowerherbs.com, thepowerherbs.com. So, um, you know, take advantage, learn what you can, protect yourself, because nobody cares about your health more than you. Well, thank you, Wendy, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. And I want to remind the listeners, uh, Frank Stampin will be joining James Corbett right after these short breaks.
PSA count high? Half of all men over 50 have an enlarged prostate. You can shrink your prostate without harmful drugs or risky surgery. The secret to healing the prostate is to cleanse the prostate and the liver. Call Apothecary Herbs to ask about the Prostate Kit for a comprehensive way to heal and soothe your prostate. Educate yourself on how easy it can be to disinfect, cleanse, and restore your prostate glands. Call Apothecary Herbs for the Prostate Kit and successfully reduce swelling, inflammation, dissolve stones, and cleanse the blood to obtain the results you need. Money-back guarantee with every purchase. Call the experts in organ cleansing. Call Apothecary Herbs now for the Prostate Kit and empower yourself. Toll free, 866-229-3663 or international callers, 704-875-8010. That's toll free, 866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. Don't make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three www.thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, Kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
All right, welcome back to Financial Survival. And no, I am not Al Dask. Uh, this is Francis Stephan sitting in for Al. We're having technical problems getting in touch with Al in Texas. Uh, so I'm sitting in for the interview with James Corbett. So I will just cut to the chase and uh, tell you, you already know, folks, it's James Corbett from the Corbett Report. Welcome, James. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's good to talk to you on air. You too, James. Now, you know, a lot of the news, and this is financial survival, uh, a lot of the news is about finances that we see, and China's in the, in the front pages about a lot of stuff. What do you, what do you, what's your take on this? Now, they lowered it once, and then they lowered it again. In fact, uh, I believe they just lowered it for the fourth day in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, they no, sorry, third day in a okay. row. I'm not. I'm jumping the gun on that one. But they said it was going to be a one-time event, and then the next day, I guess it was a two-time event, and then the next day it was a three-time event. Third so time's have, the charm. Third time's the charm. You never know. Well, now it's uh, gone down. Uh, 4.65%. It's down to July 2011 uh, numbers. Uh, this is a pretty big move on global mar uh, FX markets, obviously, but I think just generally in terms of what this is going to do, uh, what this is signaling about the Chinese economy and what this is going to do to economies around the world. And there are as many opinions on this as there are analysts. So it is a head-scratching moment. A lot of people are trying to figure out what's going on here. Wow. But I think there's definitely more to this than meets the eye. I don't think personally, I don't think China is doing this because they want to or because, oh, they're just trying to make their exports look better. I think there's some serious structural imbalances that's going on um, just globally and internationally right now, and specifically with the dollar. Um, the dollar is strengthening. The yuan is not pegged to the dollar. It's not a straight peg, but it does float within a, a certain range that uh, is heavily influenced by the dollar. And that has really created a huge strain on China and other countries that have been linked to the dollar in recent years. And I think this is just some of that steam uh, is being let off right now. And uh, this is going to have some huge, huge knock-on effects, obviously on China's trading partners, and then secondary effects on everyone who's big trading partners with those trading partners. So I don't think any corner of the world is really going to escape what's happening right now. And it really looks like the currency war is uh, starting off. I mean, really, the only question is which central bank is going to blink first and start cutting rates and or uh, easing. And it looks like the Bank of Japan might be the, uh, the first yeah. to blink. Uh, we have Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's, uh, uh, one of his prime advisors, Koichi Hamada, just came out to say Japan can offset the yuan de devaluation by... Monetary easing, of course. So J the Bank of Japan looks set to, to turn on the printing press well, as a result of this, and I think that's only the first of many, many such announcements to come. Now, when you said that, you know, they can lower rates, uh, the United States, what are they, uh, at point zero one or something right now? And they, they, they've been talking here about... Well, you know, we're going to raise the rates here uh, one, you know, one of these days, one of these years, one of these times, but we're going to do it sometime. Uh, you know, what has this done to that idea? I mean, is that off the table now or that's a good question. I think that's uh, something that's very much in the air. There's been some jobs data that's just come out that might put a question mark over the uh, the question of whether the Fed's going to raise rates this year. And then with this devaluation, I think that has to figure into it. So 
Uh, people who were very sure that there was going to be a, a rate hike in, in the, announced in the September meeting might have to think about that again. If a rate hike was announced at this time, I mean, that's just pure craziness. And the only thing that I could think of would be the, the people who are screaming that, you know, this September is going to be the big crash. There's a lot of momentum behind that idea right now. And they would be exactly right, I think, if the Fed announced the rate hike in, in their September meeting. Yeah, that would that pretty would much do it, wouldn't it? I can't see any way that that would do anything good for the global economy, the U.S. economy, uh, in any way. Uh, it's just insanity that they're talking about this right now. But and it's almost almost like they want to crash them. And where they're at, though, how uh, I mean, how low where they're at? What if things start going, you know, bad and you know, without even raising the rates? I mean, they got nowhere else to go really down. Oh, they get well, there's always negative interest rates. Oh, That's yeah. catching on. <laughs> the, new, the newest idea. Yeah, uh, we saw the Eurozone enter into uh, negative interest rate territory in the last couple of years. And, I mean, I mean, if the Fed was actually thinking about it, they could probably go the same way as well. But, uh, no, they're what? talking about going the exact opposite direction. What and would it's just that do? I mean, honestly, what would we kind of know what what's going to happen if they do raise the rates? That's going to be catastrophe. But what if they say, "Well, okay, we'll go the other way. We'll just go." Ne- what's that? What does that mean to the average consumer out there? You know, the credit card owner, the mortgage holder, the you know the the regular Joe sort of guys uh, out there. What would a negative interest rate mean to them? Well, instead of getting money for parking your funds in a bank or a bank account or whatever, um, it would actually be losing money for parking your funds. So the obvious effect is to stir people into actually using their money. And that's that's exactly what uh, lowering rates is all about, and that's what negative interest rates would do. It would be that incentive for people to take that money off the sidelines and put it into, well, what else? The stock market, which, of course, is all-time record highs. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so we're seeing them throwing the kitchen sink at trying to get people invested in the stock market but, bubble, and that would be the next step. But people could would not or should not expect if they hear negative interest rates that that means that you're going to start getting paid to use your credit card. You're still going to be paying interest on Oh, that. no, 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 no. Uh, no, yeah, exactly. Of course not. Of course not in that context. But the idea would be, for example, in your uh, bank account, instead of getting a small amount uh, of interest deposit, you would actually get that interest taken out of your um, account. Right. So that's that's the way that would ultimately But the trickling down stops at the credit card and the mortgage. Absolutely. You know, There's your no mortgage. way that's going in negative territory. Yeah, now. okay, I see. So this is this is just another uh, negative interest rates is really just theft. We're going to do a fee is what we're going to do. Essentially. We're going yeah. to start charging fees instead of paying Essentially. interest. And the Keynesians, of course, would argue this is a great way to get money moving through the economy when it seems to be seizing up. And, you know, uh, to me, it seems either they're, they're in a jam. It seems to me that either way they go here, if they raise the interest rates, it's obvious a catastrophe. If they lower the interest rates, I don't think people are going to necessarily start using their money. I think they're going to start not using banks as much. People are going to start saying, you know what, uh, I'm cashing my check and I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it in my pocket. Uh, uh, let, you know, I'll just live with what the, uh, the inflation steals from me rather than the inflation plus you know, the negative interest at the bank. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. This is the structural systemic problem that we're facing right now. This isn't just a problem of, oh, if they just tinker the rates in the right direction and to the right amount, it'll all be perfect. I think this is showing that 
there's only so much magic you can do from within the system. <laughs> the, the fundamental system itself is going to have to come down at some point, and I think this is already being baked into the cake. But of course, of course, the people who stand to benefit from that, uh, that collapse happening in a certain direction and then offering a certain solution will be the ones who are ready with their ready-made sure. plan to, to get us out of this. So well, I think we have to be very careful about that. But you're right. One of the ways this could play out is for people to realize that using these big mega banks is the problem itself. This is what underwrites and underlines the, the problem and makes it possible. And people trading in local community currencies and going with credit unions and getting their money out of the big banks is really the only actual solution, the only thing that's really going to work. I don't think people right. should be looking to the Fed to solve all of that. And the only way it's going to happen is if they get hurt, and negative interest rates will hurt them, and you know, so the banks are in a jam. They can't go either way. They can't go any lower. They can't go any higher. They can't, they're kind of stuck, and this is why Ponzi schemes are illegal <laughs> for everybody but them, because, yeah. you know, you do it long enough, and it's going to come to this problem where it's just not going to work no matter what you do anymore. Uh, and that's the whole, you know, that, that is counterfeiting cool. and, uh, and, uh, and uh, all of these Ponzi schemes, all of this, all of it illegal, unless the government's doing it, in which case that's just the way it works. Right, right. <laughs> now, uh, I'm looking here and I'm seeing that on one thing they say, well, the federal taxes have hit a record high and, uh, you know, we have all these problems and, but... Then I'm looking here, and it's the federal debt has apparently frozen for the last 150 days. How, how is that? I mean, you know, that's, yeah, that's a very good question. How is that? Yeah, 150 uh, days, that's almost six months, and, you know, that's half a year almost, a good part of half a year anyway, and uh, at frozen? You mean they're not spending? They're not borrowing? They haven't borrowed another dime? How can well, that, that be? Clearly cannot possibly be the case. I, I don't know the specifics of this, but I'm going to bet my bottom dollar, as it were, that this has to do with the way that this is billed. I mean, I'm assuming that this is just that there's going to be a tidal wave of, of backload debt that, that will <laughs> yeah. come in September or whenever that is. I'm just assuming it's the way that they build this. Well, they um, froze it at eighteen trillion hundred and twelve billion, you know, and nine hundred seventy-five. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, so, you know, what in September they're just going to say, oh, it's uh, twenty-four trillion, uh, you know, whatever billion, and and that's that, and everybody go, oh well. You know, I mean, we get to a no. I think we're at the. I think we've passed the number where anybody really cares what the debt is because I, I think everybody kind of realizes that. You know, even if the eighteen trillion was real, which you know, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of credible evidence. Like, you know, shadow stats, a lot of credible evidence that it's far, far higher in the hundreds of trillions, and that's not even counting any derivatives or anything like that. You know, uh, but you know, you get to a number where, what does it matter? I, I hate to sound like Hillary Clinton, but you know. Really, what does it matter? I mean, okay, 18 trillion can't be paid, neither can 200 trillion. So, okay, so it won't get paid. Either one won't get right. paid. What's this? Right. What really difference does it make at that point? That well, yes, and and it especially doesn't make a difference in a system where you have a central bank like the Federal Reserve that can hold U.S. government debt. And in fact, of course, the Fed is the largest holder of Treasury, uh, uh, treasury mm -hmm. uh, obligations. And on top of that, 
the U.S. is the world reserve currency, so people are always hungry for U.S. debt anyway. So in those conditions, it really is just a number. And there's no point at which uh, suddenly that number is going to become too high and the, the government can't print anymore. There's, they can print as much as they want until people stop accepting it. So under the current paradigm, under the current regime, they could just keep printing it until the cows come home. The real question is when people start lo- when will people start losing confidence in that system? And we know that the uh, the piper is playing right now, and he's going to need to be paid at a certain point. It's just a question of when that point uh, comes. Yeah, and there's they're in a jam because they really there's not a lot more. You know, well, uh, let's just go back to the bag of tricks and, oh, wait a minute, there's nothing left in the bag of tricks. What are we going to do now kind of moment, you know, that, uh-oh, let's just see. Uh, what, hmm. And then you have other people, you know, uh, people, I mean players, other countries, not like China. And here's a headline from The Telegraph. And what's your take on this and how credible is this? How real is this? How much, you know, bluster is this? Russia and NATO actively preparing for war. I would like to see the report, but, uh, well, I mean, I think we've all seen the broad strokes of that preparation for a very long time. But if they think that there's some sort of special mobilization taking place at this particular moment, I, I... can't say that I've seen those types of moves lately. In fact, if anything, we're starting to see, uh, for example, on the Syrian front, we've just had uh, Putin's uh, foreign minister, Lavrov, come out saying that basically Putin is trying to initiate a united front against ISIS in Syria, and it looks like there's going to be some increased military intervention in Syria this fall, with Russian support even. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I know that there are obviously tensions and that NATO has been encircling Russia for a very long time, and Ukraine continues to be a boiling point. But I just haven't seen any particular moves in recent weeks or months to show that there's anything fundamentally different going well, on. Well, what I gathered from this report is basically they're they're just listing uh, maneuvers and things like that that both right. sides have been taking, and they've they've stepped it up a little bit in their training and their uh, war games and their uh, you know their movements along each other's you know like look at us you know yeah, and they do that specifically so you know it, it's it's for show. Uh, that look, we're ready. We're here. We're moving. We we're able to move. Look, we can drive across Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. You know that was in the news not too long ago. The U.S. troops, the U.S. Army was making a big deal about the fact that you know they could actually get in trucks and drive a thousand miles across Europe. And I don't know. I thought that was a little. Yes. Yeah, so. I can get my yeah. my old Datsun and drive a thousand miles across. <laughs> you know, so what? You know, but they they did it like it was a big deal. Like, look what we can do. So right. you better be afraid. Be very afraid. We can make it a thousand miles. I and I and apparently from what they were saying is usually they don't do that. Usually you get in airplanes and they fly a thousand miles and then they they're where they are supposed to be and they do what they're going to do. They don't generally go over the ground and I guess that's a skill that they thought they needed to practice a little bit and they were very proud of themselves that they were able to accomplish it but uh, it's stuff like that that they're pointing to that it appears that they're preparing for war and apparently the uh, you know the Russians are doing the same thing which of course they would uh, you know if they saw NATO doing that but we're going to take a break and we'll be back in just about uh Two and a half, three minutes. Everybody stay right where you're at.
a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three W's.thepowerherbs.com. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe, all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. To financial survival. This is Francis Stephan. I'm sitting in for Al Adask. Uh, we had some technical trouble getting in touch with Al tonight. And we have James Corbett coming to us from Japan. Welcome back, James. Always good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, now I asked you something during the break, and, and, and it's kind of, I don't know, this is the fluff part, okay, of the show. Uh, the politics, the the campaign thing, because really half of my brain's telling me, come on, come on, this is just a big show. The other half is going, yeah, but people are interested in it. So, James, with Hillary Clinton, the the emails and all this stuff just being uh, top secret emails now in the hands of the DOJ, boy, she's in big trouble, and the elections and Donald Trump and the third party threat. What do you think of all that? What's your take on Well, for people who were thinking that Clinton-Bush was going to be the uh, 2016 uh, election choice, uh, it looks like Jeb Bush, it looks at this point that he's off the table. And again, you know, never write a Bush out, I suppose. Who knows how he could bounce back. But it looks like he's becoming less and less the, uh, the front runner here. So the question really is Hillary. And is there any serious challenge to Hillary from within the Democratic Party at this point. Um, Bernie Sanders, perhaps, but I can't imagine that getting a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of play um, 
except for within the Democrat, hardcore Democrat ranks, there might be some people who will support him. But I think just ultimately he's not going to get the funding and the financing that Hillary already has in place. So I think Hillary looks like the presumptive nominee at this point. And it's crazy to think about, given the amount of political baggage she has, including, of course, the emails, which is still a developing scandal. The DOJ, as you say, investigating her servers now. It's, I mean, it's insane that this is the front runner for the Democrat. But there you are. And unfortunately, unless anything changes in the meantime, that looks like what it's going to shape up as. So the question is on the Republican side, who's going to come out? Uh, here's my take on this matter. Look at 92. You had uh, Bush versus Clinton, and then you had the third-party independent billionaire who uh, runs, splits the Republican vote, and helps get Clinton into office. The relative unknown uh, challenger to a sitting president gets rocketed into office on the back of this, you know, split vote amongst the Republicans. Now switch to 2016, and you have Clinton versus whoever, maybe Bush, um, and you have this sudden rise of this guy who's already threatening to go independent, uh, who is storming the polls, who's obviously caught the public's imagination, of course, Donald Trump. And uh, if he went third party, what would happen? Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that that would split the Republican vote. There'd be a lot of people who support him, obviously. Mm -hmm. There'd be a lot of people who want to support Republican nominee, whoever that is. And you would definitely see a, a Republican split vote. In that case, who would benefit the most? Obviously, the D Democrat nominee, Clinton. And who does it turn out, apparently, convinced Trump to run in the first place? According to the scuttlebutt, the rumors that Trump's trying to deny, it was Clinton. Bill Clinton. Called him up and said, you should run. So, uh, I don't know. Now, let me throw a little ma monkey wrench into that. Um, or, or should I say, it's not so much of a monkey wrench as a another monkey. Okay? <laughs> so, we have... And it does look like the Republican Party, you know, I, I can't imagine, okay, I cannot imagine the the establishment of the Republican Party accepting Trump as their nominee. I That's difficult to imagine. It's possible, but it's difficult. So he goes third party. That's an easy split to see, and as you point to 92, it's happened before. And let's go to the Democratic Party. What if Sanders doesn't just drop out and bow to Hillary. What if he stays in? What if he goes third party? What if he says, hey, you know what, I got a lot of support here and I got enough money to go. In a four-way race, Hillary, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, and whoever the Republican nominee is, what happens then? You know, that would almost actually make this interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't be less interested in these kinds of presidential elections that are obviously usually decided well in advance. But I guess a four-party race would be, or four-way four race would be somewhat interesting. Well, that's a good question. And I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could see some sort of Democrat split. Uh, well, there's O'Malley. He, he has been, I've mm -hmm. read some stuff about him. He's one unhappy Democrat right now. He doesn't feel that this is... Uh, well, let's put it this way. I have no doubt there are a lot of Democrats who would be very unhappy with Clinton being the uh, the nominee. Yeah. Um, and so there would be, I think, some sort of support for some sort of third-party split-off uh, candidate from the Democrats. But I don't know. I just don't know if I see the financial and institutional backing for such a run. With Trump, I mean, obviously he can finance it. And, and then you've got the Republican-Democrat nominee. I don't know if there's another Democrat nominee who can really put together the financing that would be necessary for a, a real presidential run. I so, might not be brave enough to go against the Clintons either. You can end up yeah. uh, dead. And it's happened before. In fact, just uh, like recently. Like uh, before. 
Well, exactly. Clinton body count. And there may be another person to add to that. I heard just recently that one of the people who was involved in advising uh, Clinton on Libya back when she was at the State Department just dropped dead. So uh, who knows? knows? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. It's uh, yeah. But it would be interesting. I would like, you know, because that would that would throw another aspect into it's like, okay, so. Uh, the radical Republicans are going to vote for the third party over here. The radical Democrats, I guess then it would just be a question of, well, how many moderate, you know, who has the more moderates? You know, who has more moderates? And, you know, the the I, I can't imagine Democrats, though, if they were given another choice. Because really up to this point, and that, that's what O'Malley's been saying publicly, is that up to this point, Democrats really haven't been given another choice you know it's like yeah they're out there you know Bernie Sanders is out there O'Malley's out there but really the press and really the money and all that stuff it's just kind of because they got to have somebody to make it look real right that exactly. they're not given another choice and that's what he's complaining about and, right. and of course this feeds into I think the Democrat psychology generally which is at this point almost I think paranoid about uh, the fact that they're they may never get into office again. Will they ever have power again after uh, what's happened with Obama? And I think they want to play it very safe. So there's a lot of Democrats who will feed into that. You know, I don't know. And people really need to get over that because I remember Republicans felt the same way about Bush. Oh my gosh! After this guy, we're never mm. going to get the White House. We're never going to get Congress. We're never going to get anything. You know, because they lost, you know, Obama got in there, they lost the House, they lost the Senate, you know, it was all Democrat control. Now look, you know, I mean, things change so much that it's crazy to sit there and think, well, just because you're having a bad day today, that you're never going to get back in office again, and oh, everybody's going to hate Democrats or Republicans forever. It never seems to last. Not very long at all. Not even a whole election cycle, it doesn't last. Yeah. You know, so I don't know, but people are uh, kind of funny about that. And uh, and you're right, there are the people out there that will just follow the party regardless of who it is, uh, like the Republicans. You know, they, I don't think anybody has any idea. I did watch the debate, uh, not live, but I watched it afterwards. And uh, Jeb Bush uh, really, uh, they threw him softballs and... And, and you know he, he got the second amount, second most amount of speaking time, despite the fact no one actually cared what he was saying. Yeah, so he yeah, goes. he did. And and hey, but at least the moderators got more time than anybody. <laughs> you know, I mean, Donald Trump got ten minutes, which was more than anybody, and each each moderator got ten minutes, and there were three of them. You know, so I guess they figured people tune in to see the moderators, not the not the actual people. It's all spectacle at this point. It and really call is. Me, call me jaded, call me cynical, but honestly, I think these elections are decided by corporations and banks and financial, financial advisors and the big money, and it's trotted out for the public. I really don't think that this is going to fundamentally change anything about the direction of the country, except on those political football issues that people can invest their identity with and, and get all wrapped up in. But the big, big policy issues and the foreign policy and financial policy is just not going to change from within the system. I don't, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And, uh, you know, I can sit down and I can watch a, a football or basketball game and enjoy it and cheer. But, you know, I recognize it's not changing my life, whoever wins. 
doesn't really matter who wins to me. You know, I mean, what does it change my life? I can take a couple hours and get excited about it, but it doesn't really make any difference in the big picture. Uh, now, one la- you know, we're, we don't have that much time left, so let me, let me ask you now, back to China. Given all what they've done, and, and who knows why, you know, who knows really what they're thinking, but what do you think their next move is going to be? What do you think they're going to do next? What can we expect next from China? You know, honestly, I think that there's less kind of grand strategy going on here than there is kind of emergency trying to uh, hit the panic button and do whatever they can to avoid some pretty big wheels coming off of their economy right now. And uh, there's all sorts of signs of the economic slowdown in China, and there's just been some more data that's released, the uh, leap figures, the leading economic activity pulse, uh, down 3.9% year-on-year last month, which is down from 2.6% down in June. So definitely China is slowing down. I think this devaluation plus the stock market crisis, plus slowing housing starts, plus slowing auto sales, I mean, there's just a, a real fundamental problem uh, in the Chinese economy right now, and they're just trying to hit the panic button and do what they can. This devaluation, I think, is a corner that they've been painted into, and it doesn't necessarily help them out. Um, One interesting part of this factor in this is that the way that they've done this is not necessarily... Basically, they're they're reforming the way that the the currency is put in that market range uh, where it's kind of floating in a little band. They've kind of change the rules so it, it floats in a different way. So it's more more based on market price, which is actually perhaps uh, one of the ways that they're trying to lobby for the uh, IMF uh, special drawing rights inclusion of the yuan. So basically to say, look, we're making it more based on, on market rates rather than our dictates at the central bank. So all of this may also be part of that ploy. But it, again, I don't think it's a decision they want to make. I don't think this is something they're doing as part of a grand strategy. So I think what we're seeing right now is a rear guard strategy. They're hitting panic buttons. They're just trying to stop the stock market from crashing any further. They're trying to stop the, the currency from getting out of control. And uh, I don't know how much... Well, obviously, they have a lot of fire plot power left up their sleeve. But I think one of the things that we're likely to see in the coming months is uh, that that official gold holding figure mm-hmm. to keep increasing. Uh, we know they just made a big increase in it, uh, saying they got 600 tons in the month of June or whatever they said that mm-hmm. it was. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing that number continuing to creep up as China just basically wants to show to the to the world and to their their own people that they they have some firepower to back it now, up. So I would what, say that's the next shoe to drop. At what point do you think, in your opinion, do you think that what they're doing with the gold is going to catch on to the rest of the world, you know, like here in America? I mean, gosh, $1,100 spot is, you know, come on, uh, that's so undervalued. It's a great time to buy, but uh, with China buying all this gold, when 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 is that going to catch on? Because everything is so much based on confidence and what people think. When do you think it's going to catch on and people are going to, oh, my gosh, we need to do what they're doing. You know, we need to start buying gold, physical gold. Yeah, well, it already is. Um, and there's lots of different sources on this. I suggest people look it up. But basically, there's all sorts of talk from 
people actually in the industry, um, jewelers and miners and, and people who are saying that there is huge amounts of uh, physical gold shortages right now. There's huge amounts of buyers for physical gold, um, but that's not being reflected in the price, which we know is heavily influenced by these ETFs and mm-hmm. futures and, and paper gold. Um, but we are, I mean, we do still see some sort of market mechanism coming here. And with the Chinese yuan devaluation, we just saw uh, gold rocket up through 1100 and, and heading upwards. So even the manipulated price can only be manipulated so much and mm-hmm. still does reflect some of these market forces. Um, so I think, I think people already understand that all of this rhetoric about gold being, you know, pet rocks and all of this stuff they're trying to say right now is garbage and not a lot of people are buying it. So I, I think rather than looking at the spot price, I think people should be concentrating on what the, the actual people who are selling the gold are saying. And they're right. saying that there's huge runs on it right now, and I, I wouldn't doubt it. Well, it's a great time to buy with the prices where they're at because they're probably not going any lower and they're probably not going to stay where they're at very much longer. Hey, James, give everybody your contact information. How can they get the information that you write about and all the places that you write? Go to CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. All of my information is there, all of my videos, interviews, articles, podcasts thousands and thousands of hours of media free for download. And, of course, I also write uh, the weekly, uh, too, bi-weekly uh, editorial in the International Forecaster. People can get a free copy of that at theinternationalforecaster.com, and you can also subscribe there and get 40 pages of really uh, quite interesting and vital market information uh, twice a week. So uh, I hope people will go there and check it out. Well, that's great, James. Well, thanks for being on. It was a pleasure to interview you. I hope someday I'll get a chance to do it again, but probably next week Al will be back in the saddle. Thanks for being on. Folks, thank you for listening to Financial Survival. And, uh, well, thanks for listening. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. 
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
All right, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, August 10th, 2016, about seven and a half minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we are, in fact, live. And being live, that means you, you, you can participate in this here show. And, uh, you know, hang on a sec. 800-932-9673. 800-932-1980 is the number that you can call to get on the air. And uh, if you don't want to get on the air, well, let me give that to you again. Maybe you do. 800-932-1980. And, uh, but if you don't want to get on the air, you can still participate. TheAmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com is our website. We have a chat room right there. On the website, you'll see the link, AVRN chat room. You can go in there. You can participate in the show. I'm looking in on the chat room right now. That's right. I'm watching you. And uh, we're seeing comments like, Obama's mom was so fat. The only job she could get was on a Daytona beat on Daytona Beach selling shade. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, yeah, and you can tell jokes. And uh, if I like them, I'll bring them on the air, and I like that one. Anyway, okay, there it is. Let's get to the things and stuff. What do I want to talk about tonight? Well, you know, obviously a lot of things, but let's look at Paul Ryan. Now, I'm very disappointed in you people in Wisconsin, okay? I think you are foolish, stupid people, okay? That's right. The district where Paul Ryan is, and I'm not going to blame the whole state of Wisconsin because he is just a congressman and the people only in his district vote, but the people in Paul Ryan's district are stupid, stupid, stupid people, okay? You really are. You're you're so hung up on the fact that, ooh, we got the Speaker of the House, we got the Speaker of the House, he has seniority, and he has all this power, and he's the Speaker of the House. Yeah, he's also a Democrat, you bunch of morons. But then again, maybe you're Democrats, too. Maybe that's what you like about Paul Ryan. Let's talk about Paul's little girl wife here, huh? Why don't we talk about her? Although she's not a little girl wife, actually, she's older than he is. I guess that makes Paul Ryan her little boy toy, huh? <laughs> what a cute couple, not. Here's a headline. I'm going to read this to you because this is a good piece here. Because I've looked at tons of information on this woman. And this guy doesn't, he doesn't use everything. But he really does kind of lay it out really well. And I'm going to read it to you because, you know what, folks? This is one of those times when, if I lived in that district, I would vote for the Democrat. I don't care who it is, beyond Paul Ryan. Because Paul Ryan is a Democrat. He votes Democrat, Democrat, Democrat all the way. You can look at his voting record, folks, and find that out. Forget his rhetoric where he says, oh, I'm for closed borders. I'm for a secure America. I'm for more jobs. Oh, yeah, really, as you're signing off on T. TPP, as you're, as you're demanding open borders, as you're giving Obama more refugee power, 
Really? You can actually get up straight-faced and lie to everybody while you're voting in that way. And not just voting, because of all his power, he is also blocking legislation that would stop a lot of what Obama's doing. He blocks it as Speaker of the House. He won't allow it there. Hmm? How about that? And where is this all coming from? Is it Paul Ryan? I don't think so, because Paul Ryan's not smart enough to come up with any ideas on his own. Who's whispering in little Paul's ear every night is his wife, Jana. That's right, a liberal running the show from the family kitchen table. The marriage between a man and a woman is a mutual political, spiritual co-joining of forces and ideologies, including love. The man will support and encourage his wife and the wife her husband. Yes. And then right after that, they all go outside and feed the unicorn. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so to fully understand a man and or a woman in their decision-making processes, one must first understand that it, it, it's a team effort working together for the good of the family unit. This includes all external decision-making processes, too. A solid marriage will have the man supporting the wife's decisions and vice versa. That's pretty, that's pretty accurate. Any married people out there, you know that's pretty much the, the way, when things are working the way they should work, that's how it's working, right? Okay, let's read on. So, if you're scratching your head and rubbing your rabbit foot in an expression of confusion and lack of understanding of Speaker of the House Paul Ryan and his blatant liberal agenda and decision-making processes, all you have to do is look into his family unit. You will learn that he, supporting his wife's ideology, as a man should and probably to remain in good graces in a supportive marriage, meaning he still gets sex as long as he goes along with her deal, Paul Ryan is married to Jana Little, a liberal, left-wing, progressive, anti-constitutional, big-government George Soros supporter who voted for Barack Hussein Obama twice. You getting this? You feeling me, folks? Huh? Let me ask you conservative men out there, huh? Are you going to this like... Uh, Give up everything you believe in and just go along with the little woman's commie ideas, huh? Are you? Well, Paul Ryan did. He does. He is all the time. Look at his voting record. Here's from another uh, article. A little bit of background. Jenna comes from a Democratic family. Her cousin, Dan Borden was a Democratic representative for Oklahoma from 2005 to 2013. Dan's father, David Boren, was the 21st governor of Oklahoma from 75 to 79. Dan's grandfather, Lyle Borden, was a Democratic member of the U.S. House of Representatives from 1937 to 1947. Jana's grandfather, Rual Little, helped fund a third party called the American Party in Oklahoma in 1968. He ran for governor in 1970, but didn't win. Jana herself has lobbied for liberal movements such as marching in Washington in college for women's rights. The New York Times reported, 
Jana rarely gives interviews, CNN reported, and doesn't speak publicly about her political views. Oh, I wonder why. Because her hubby is frauding as a Republican. Yeah, that's why she doesn't speak about her political, uh, you know, uh, leanings. Speaker Paul Ryan will not operate his family unit and make decisions that will cause friction and go against the will of his wife. This is how most marriages operate, unless your wife is a Florida Gator fan and you are an FSU fan. That would be another battle to work through. But the woman will always win, even if you're right. Why is that, folks? Because we want sex. Bottom line, let's be honest, huh? Oh, I just did I just have a Donald Trump moment? Ooh, well, gee, gosh, the truth comes out. Oh, we can't have that, can we? So, if you want to understand why Speaker Ryan funded Obamacare and Planned Parenthood, I suggest you ask his wife. She's wearing the pants in the family, metaphorically speaking, in my opinion. If you want to know why Paul Ryan is using taxpayer money to fund 100,000 unvetted Syrians for a free taxpayer-funded ride in cities across the United States, ask his wife, the bleeding-heart liberal that she is. She is pro-open borders. Paul Ryan's decisions and thought processes are a reflection of his spouse's mindset. Mrs. Ryan is a lifelong Democrat who is pushing Obama's agenda through her husband. And of course, a happy life is a happy wife. Paul Ryan also had a pendant for dating Democrats. Yeah, this isn't the first. Which allows him to embrace his real, honest, true-to-heart Democratic values. Seriously. Many years ago, I went out on a blind date with a lady who turned, this is the guy, many, the blind date with a lady who turned out to be a Democrat. When she opened her mouth, I responded back in kind, and that ended that date. It lasted about two to three minutes. Let me ask you again, men. Is that you, or are you Paul Ryan, the little shriveled-up weenie that he is? Hmm? Which are you? I also left her the bill for the drinks tab to help her redistribute her wealth. I cannot tolerate being around a liberal mindset. I am a conservative with different values. What about you folks? Do you hang out with a lot of liberals, do you? Are they your buddies? You consider them your friends, do you? I'm going to say something I told somebody earlier today. If anybody out there is supporting Hillary Clinton, and as a matter of fact, if there's anybody out there who is not directly opposing Hillary Clinton, they are not good people, and you should not be friends with them. Okay? That's my opinion. If you support Hillary Clinton, you are a bad person. Meaning you're probably a criminal, okay, of some sort or another, because Hillary Clinton is the king of criminals. Paul Ryan is not a conservative, my friends. If he was, he would have never married Jenna Little. I mean, really, folks, you're a conservative and you find a left-wing nutcase communist... 
And what, because she does the nasty just the way you like it, you're going to give up everything you believe in and go along with her? Unless, of course, you never believed it in the first place. You're just lying anyway, and you figured, hey, it's easier for me to get elected as a Republican than it is a Democrat, but I'll just... I'll just join, you know, I'll just register as a Republican and run on, then I'll run as a Republican and I'll do all the Democratic dirty work. Because that's exactly what Paul Ryan is doing. And look, it's not my opinion. Go look at his voting record for crying out loud. Apparently, that part of the Internet's not available in Paul Ryan's district in Wisconsin. This wasn't just a flash in the pan. You might think, well, you know, hey, wait a minute. Maybe it was true love. Maybe it's just love, you know, defeats everything, right? Love is just trumps everything. It's just everything, right? Okay, so, okay, once in a lifetime he met his love of his life, his soulmate. No, you know, he couldn't help it, and it just, okay, fine. I can at least accept that. Well, if it wasn't for Paul's lying BS, acting like a Republican to everybody, I could accept it. Because what do I care? You know, you want to have a life of misery with some communist, you go right ahead. Just don't join me in on your little uh, miser- you know, miserable life thing, like Paul Ryan is for the rest of the country. But it's not that. Okay? This ain't the first one. Paul Ryan has a little bit of a Oh, thing. For commie girls, I guess. Hmm? Paul Ryan's ex-flame and last love of his life, before getting married to Jenna Little, was his ex-girlfriend and black American Democrat, Benita Pope. That's right. She, too, voted for Obama twice and also supports his communist agenda. Hmm. There's something from the Daily Mail about this. Paul Ryan's African-American college sweetheart has spent time in prison for wire fraud. Huh. Danita Pope hit headlines after Mail Online revealed that she was the Republican vice presidential candidate's ex-girlfriend who opened his eyes to the evils of racism. She served five months in prison after defrauding, defrauding her employer, Ernst & Young, out of $77,000 in 1999, according to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Ms. Pope admitted claiming funds from work to attend an educational course which did not exist. Mr. Ryan has stayed in touch with his ex his ex over the two decades since they broke up and even attended Ms. Pope's wedding in May this year. But you see, if you're a Democrat, felonies don't matter. See, felonies only matter when you're a Republican. Then they're a big deal. That disqualifies you from everything. You, you should have been killed long ago. But if you're a Democrat and you have a few felonies, it's okay. You know, uh, it's the man keeping me down. Yeah, that's what it is. Paul Ryan just can't seem to stay away from females who are Democrats. Apparently, Paul Ryan can fake being a Republican to muster through a liberal agenda to please not only his liberal left-wing Obama-supporting wife, but also his former girlfriends in the Democratic Party. Paul Ryan is a massive threat to the U.S. Constitution and the national security of this nation, not only militarily. 
Our nation, our children, and our future as a nation depend on it. Speaker Paul Ryan is a Charlie Crist Republican who is perhaps being manipulated by his liberal wife because, see, Paul's not all that bright. And just as my former executive officer told me while I was forward deployed in eastern Mediterranean Sea with a Navy SEAL unit in Operation Desert Storm. Okay, this is what his, his executive, his XO told him, okay? Ross, never forget, shipmate. The biggest threat to our national security is a dependent wife running her mouth at the grocery store bitching about something after getting a letter from a deployed husband. That's why nobody is going to be sending any letters home until we take out Sodom. Well, the same is true in politics. Loose lips sink ships. Politics makes for strange bedfellows. And in this case, it is Jana and Paul Ryan. Gee. But that ain't all. Everybody in the you know liberal media would have you believe, oh, she's just some wonderful little stay-at-home mommy. Yeah, that's all she is. She just stays at home, mommy. Except, not not exactly. She's not exactly the typical stay-at-home mommy. Until their marriage, she was successful. A successful, get this, tax attorney. Gee, another reason not to like this wench. A tax attorney. Great. I don't like attorneys to begin with, but taxes? Hey, who out there? Hey, raise your hands. Who out there loves taxes? Okay, let's see another raise of hands or just keep them up. Who loves attorneys? Yeah. Okay, so she's... Let's see if we can go for the trifecta here. And by the, by the time she was 30, she was a high-priced lobbyist. <laughs> okay, there it is. The trifecta. Taxes, attorney, and a lobbyist. Wow, I can't think of anything I like about this woman. Mrs. Ryan worked for big pharmaceuticals, big oil, and health care corporations. Interestingly, she was also a key lobbyist for UPS. Her lobbying team was paid $220,000 in 1998 to lobby against the interest of the U.S. Postal Service. You understand what I'm saying here? She worked for UPS, and she was lobbying against the interests of the United States Postal Service. Jana Ryan was part of the lobbying effort that defeated a postal reform bill, which was designed to make the U.S. Postal Service more profitable. The ripples of her work in defeating this bill were felt earlier this month when the Postal Service defaulted on payments to the U.S. Treasury. Everybody's wondering, gee, why can't the post office make any money? Why, why are they always going broke? Well, because you got high-dollar congressional wives in Washington, D.C., working against the interests of the United States. It's that simple. UPS spent over $5 million lobbying against its main competitor. Jana Little Ryan lobbied Congress to not allow the Postal Service to expand the services it offers. UPS at this time initiated a smear campaign against the Postal Service by, by, among other things, sending every member of Congress a box filled with anti-Postal Service editorials. 
Congressman Ryan has not officially announced his views regarding postal reform, considering he wants to privatize Medicare and Social Security. It's not difficult to figure out his intentions. On his website, the segment that discusses the Postal Service proudly outlines Congressman Ice's draconian H.R. 2309 bill, which would dismantle the Postal Service. See, that's another crook right there, is Isa. He also makes none of the name uh, note of the name of the new authority Isa would use to dissolve the current postal union collective bargaining agreements, postal service financial responsibility, and management assistant authority. Incredulously, is its name. The authority would have broad mandate to restructure the postal service and reduce costs in order to bring the institution back to fiscal solvency. Yeah, but you see. If Ryan's wife wasn't out there buying off congressmen, they could have voted to allow the Postal Service to sell more things, and that way they could make more money and be fiscally viable. But no. See, Jenna Ryan got paid a big pile of money to go in there and work for UPS against the interests of the United States. Once it closes enough post offices and, shed, and sheds the collective bargaining agreements, he knows the board will be disbanded. Ryan instead should have stated that once the board is finished, so is the Postal Service. Considering Ryan's privatization zeal and his wife's UPS lobbyist connections, it's clear he will not act in the way that is in the best interest of the Postal Service, which is the interests of the United States, by the way, folks. The GOP platform calls for a partial privatization. That would be the first step towards selling the Postal Service off. The combination of Congressional Ryan, uh, Congressman Ryan and Governor Romney looks to be a fatal combination for the U.S. Postal Service. So, folks, do you want the Postal Service to go away? Huh? Because if you do, Ryan's your man, and he's got the little girl to go along with him about it, or vice versa. You know, there it is. All right, folks, let's uh, take a break, and we'll be back in a bit.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan, and you're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's still Wednesday, August 10th, 2016, and it's about 842 and a half out here on the Pacific Time Coast, if that's when it is where you're at. We're live, 800-932-1980. You can also go to the chat room located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. All right. Okay, enough about Paul Ryan and his little uh, prostitute wife. Okay. What a fraud couple though. I mean, what a scam. This is like this is like mini me Hillary and Bill Clinton, okay? Except they actually call themselves Democrats. Ryan is faking his way as a Republican. Unbelievable. I I mean, it's just it it's pathetic. And you people in Paul Ryan's district in Wisconsin are equally as pathetic. Here's some about CNN. You know, the Clinton News Network? Yeah. Things got real personal Tuesday night between CNN's Don Lemon, or should we call him Lemming? (laughs) Anyway and former Secret Service agent Dan Bongino, while discussing Donald Trump's much maligned comment on Second Amendment supporters possibly stopping rival Hillary Clinton. Perhaps Lemon took exception to Bongino summarizing the hyperventilating on the left as being in the comical realm. It really is. These people are so desperate. You know why they're so desperate? Folks, do you think they would be this desperate if the polls were really real? We'll get to that in a little bit. Hmm. Either way, Bongino correctly labeled the charge that Trump was somehow calling for the assassination of Clinton as absurd while explaining his point of view. Throwing any pretense of neutrality out the window, Lemon clearly did not agree with that point of view. What you're saying right now makes no sense to CNN host charge. I'm sitting at home. I'm watching Donald Trump. I have two ears and I have two eyes and I can see the reactions. We're not stupid. Well, we might not be stupid, but the CNN host certainly is. But anyway, you should be ashamed of yourself, Lemon added. Uh-huh. I'm ashamed that you're taking talking to me as if I'm a child, his guest fired back as the two began going at one another. You don't know crap about this, Don. You're a TV guy, Bongino said. I was a Secret Service agent. Now cut off my mic. Do what you want to do. Lemming countered by telling Bongino he was lying to the American people, prompting Bongino to again correctly label the left's reaction as nonsense. You know what? Nonsense is being generous. I tell you, man. These people are, they, you know what? They are just desperate. Desperate! But why wouldn't they be desperate? Hmm? Why wouldn't they be desperate? Well, why they're desperate is because, you see, they're lying about all the polls. Hillary Clinton is not leading in the polls, folks. Well, okay. Not legitimately leading in the polls, okay? 
the thing is, scientific polls work this way. You come to me, I'm a pollster, and you say, hey, I'd like a poll done on our support. And I, I'd, I'd like the poll to, uh, you know, I would like you to do a poll on our gaining support. And I go, oh, okay, sure, okay. And you're Hillary Clinton, and I say, okay, I'll do that. So I get on my, my phone, and I get my crew on there, and we start, oh, we go through, we get the Democratic registered voter lists, okay, only Democrats, and we start calling them. And we start asking them, well, who do you think would be a better, who are you going to vote for, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? And then they come back and go, oh, look here, Hillary, 60% of the uh, people polled said uh, they'd vote for you. And then it goes nationwide. Oh, poll says... Hillary's got big lead over Donald Trump, except they don't tell you that they only asked Democrats. Okay? That's how it works. That's the science of polling. All right? That's why they call it scientific polling. The fact of the matter is, Anybody with eyes, like the uh, lemming over there at CNN says he's not stupid. Well, if you're not stupid and you have eyes and you have ears and all that, all you have to do is go look on YouTube and look at the rallies Hillary Clinton's had. Look at the rallies Donald Trump's had. You will see one big difference. Uh, No, no, not that difference, not the... One is a regular guy, and one is an ugly wench that should be put out, okay, to some pasture somewhere on another planet. No, no, that's not the thing. The thing is the crowd. That's the thing. Hillary Clinton has trouble getting 200 people together. She can't even fill her own convention where she's nominated to be president, okay, or the presidential candidate. Yeah, go check that out. When they when you see the pan out shots, you'll see most of the places empty. Empty seats and all the places down below that were filled up were filled up by paid people. Because you know why all the Bernie Sanders delegates left. They walked out in protest. But hey, Hillary and her little uh, dog Wasserman over there had it all figured out where they were paying people to come in and sit in those seats. And they got di- and they were paid 50 bucks. And they were told you got to clap when it's, you're told to clap. You got to do this when you're told to do that. Yeah. And interns also. That's at the convention. This is her big moment. It's all a fraud, folks. Donald Trump is filling stadiums wherever he goes. He's got fire marshals telling him, "Oh, well, you can't, uh, you can't get, uh, you can't get any more people in here. It's too full." <laughs> really? So how does that happen? How does one guy fill stadiums everywhere he goes, and some wench can't get two hundred people together unless she pays them? 
How is she ahead in the polls? Hmm? This is why the news media is attacking Trump relentlessly. All right? Every day it's slam, 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 slam. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton is actually a a real-life criminal who has committed real-life felonies that are obvious and easily provable to anybody. Yet she controls the Department of Justice, which controls the FBI, and lying Comey gets up there and says, oh, he makes up a statute that doesn't exist. Well, she didn't intend. That doesn't mean anything. The felony federal code is a negligence code. Negligence statutes never require intent because nobody intends to be negligent. But, hey, it's okay because she's Hillary. Meanwhile, they're all over Trump, and the best things they can do The best things they can bring out is that, well, he's unstable. He can't have nuclear weapons. Look at how he talks. Look at what he says. He can't have nuclear weapons. He's dangerous. He's a madman. But they don't point to anything. Then they do innuendo and say, well, he won't give up his tax returns. He must be hiding something. And what's the big story? What's he really hiding? Well, do you know what they've speculated? He's hiding that he's not as rich as we all think he is. Oh, Oh, wait a minute. Let me check. Uh, Nope. I don't see that as a crime. It's not a crime to not be as rich as everybody thinks you are. Well, but maybe he's not qualified to be president because of that. Let me look. Nope, nope, nope. There is no eligibility requirement that you are as rich as everyone thinks you are to become president. So, huh, I guess it doesn't really matter. Oh, but felonies should, but not, not if you're Hillary Clinton. So why are they so desperate, folks? I mean, honestly, don't you smell the desperation out of the media? Can't you see how frightened they are? I mean, they're like a bunch of little girls screaming and shrieking when they see a rat or something. Okay? It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, you're shrieking and screaming over this thing that's what? A four-inch long, furry little rodent? That rodent's not going to hurt you. But you're shrieking like a little girl. And and same thing. They're shrieking like little girls about Donald Trump and about all their little imaginations that, oh, he's a madman. He's going to kill us all if he gets to be president. He's going to nuke the world if he becomes president. You know what? They said the same thing about Ronald Reagan. You remember? I do. Yeah, I was alive then. And uh, they said the same thing. That was the Democrats' same thing they said about Ronald Reagan. He's a loose cannon. You can't trust him. He has no experience. He's crazy. Look at him. He's a hawk. He will go to war with everybody. You know, so it's crazy. 
They're desperate and they're afraid because you know what they know? They know they've been lying about the polls, okay? They know this. The media knows this. The only dummies out there that don't know it are the American people. But they know they're lying. They know Donald Trump is crushing her everywhere. And they're scared. They're not scared so much for Hillary Clinton. Okay? They're scared for globalism. That's why these Republican so-called rhinos are jumping ship and going back where they belong with the Democrats. Because they're circling the wagons. Because they're all globalists too. The Republican Party has far more globalists than they do non-globalists. The Democrats are all globalists. And that's what they're scared about. That's what they're frightened about. Because that is what this election is all about. It is about Americanism versus globalism. Hillary Clinton and her crew represent globalism. And her crew includes Paul Ryan. Americanism is what Donald Trump's been talking about. Now, I don't know what he's going to do when he gets in there. Look. There are similarities between him and Ronald Reagan, and a lot of you might like that. I'm not one of them, because Ronald Reagan was another big fat lying fraud, okay? Now, look, to be fair, he gave the best speeches of any president in my lifetime, other than maybe John Kennedy, but I was a baby, so I don't count that. No, really, he gave, he gave great speeches. Of course, you know, he didn't write them, but he read them real good, and... uh they were as much fiction as if he read you a bedtime story. Okay, folks? Because his policies, his agenda, none of it stuck through with what his speeches said. Okay? Ronald Reagan was another used-to-be Democrat playing a Republican on TV. Yeah. So, you know, Ronald Reagan made a lot of great speeches before he was elected, too. And Donald Trump's making a lot of great speeches before he's elected, too. But they're just words, okay? And I don't know what Donald Trump's going to do when he gets in there. He could be as big a fraud and a liar as Ronald Reagan was. I mean, he picked Pence, just like Reagan picked Bush. I mean, this is a bad choice, man. A real bad choice. But, hey... Pence is a globalist also, by the way, folks. So I don't know what Trump's going to do. And you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I'm not having any more political arguments with anybody over Donald Trump. My answer to them, no matter what they say about what they think Donald Trump's going to do or not do, my answer is, well, maybe you're right. However... The reason I support Donald Trump is because he is not Hillary Clinton. That's it. That's the only reason. That's all I need. That's good enough for me. He is not her. And that will be fine. I don't care what he does. Unless he turns into her. So the feds are taking over the Baltimore Police Department. 
Oh yeah, sweeping overhaul of the city police. Uh, I'm wondering exactly what are, what can you anywhere in the Constitution that you can show me where the federal government gets to march into a city in a state of the union and take over the police force? Uh, I missed that part. How about this? Another VA story. The Detroit VA hospital spent $300,000 on never used televisions. Yeah, they were placed in storage and never used. That's just great, isn't it? Wow. Well, you know, how many vets die a day? How many? Four commit suicide every day, is that it? Yeah, thanks, VA. It's great. Anyway, got to go. Time's up. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Commercial redemption or accepted for value, The Commerce Game Exposed is the book that will help you understand this process. The fact is, there is no lawful money in circulation. The explanation and details as to how this happened are enlightening, and the instructions concerning what one can do with this information are detailed and easy to understand. Utilizing this process is not for everyone, but learning how lawful money has been turned into commercial debt instruments should be of concern to everyone. The Commerce Game Exposed book is a good tool to learn the commercial nature of the New World Order. To order the Commerce Game Exposed, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050. Time is money and knowledge is power. That's why you need the Basic Research Library CD from the American Voice Now. This CD contains the Federalist Papers, which are the definitive writings illustrating the intent of the Constitution, and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which read like a crystal ball to everything gone wrong concerning the present-day Constitution. This CD also contains Bovier's Law Dictionary and the Uniform Commercial Code, plus the inaugural speeches of U.S. Presidents, the U.S.
UN Charter, NAFTA, Hitler's Mein Kampf, the full Communist Manifesto, the Patriot Act 1 and 2, the model anti-bioterrorism law, the Homeland Security Bill, the FBI's Project Medigo, and too much more to mention here. The CD contains over a thousand files. To order your CD, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call us at 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. American war movies and the Pentagon. To be a superpower, there's a basic belief that you must glorify war in order to get the public to accept the fact that you're going to send their sons and daughters to die. We are at war. The Passionate Eye presents Operation Hollywood. Hello, I'm Mikael Jean. Welcome to The Passionate Eye. In the 1980s Hollywood movie, Top Gun, Tom Cruise plays a fighter pilot who feels the need, the need for speed. The film made big money for Hollywood, but for the U.S. military that backed the film and assisted in its production, there was an even bigger victory. Top Gun became a turning point in public opinion about the might of the U.S. military and its ability to win wars, and it became a powerful recruiting tool. But it was not the first time that Hollywood and the Pentagon have worked together. Tonight's film, Operation Hollywood, traces this relationship and the impact it has had on popular culture and America's view of war. I want you to remember that no bastard ever won war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. And then, all this stuff you heard about America not wanting to fight, wanting to stay out of the war, is a lot of horse dung. Americans traditionally love to fight. All real Americans love the sting of battle. When you were kids, you all admired the champion marble shooter, the fastest runner, big league ball players, the toughest boxers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans have never lost and will never lose a war. Because the very thought of losing is hateful to America. Americans love heroes, and they love villains. 
and war movies have both. There's conflict, there's drama, there's violence, there's action, and the good guy always wins. That's the key. I was a reporter at the Hollywood Trade Papers for 20 years. Uh, I was the labor, legal, and investigative reporter, and I was interested in organized crime and discrimination against minorities, uh, the blacklist, a lot of things. But this was always something I was, I was interested in, because I'd always heard that uh, filmmakers who want military assistance have to give their scripts, and I thought, well, gee, I wonder if there's any paperwork on this. So I started looking into it, and I found that there are tens of thousands of pages of documents, uh, the correspondence between the producers, internal memos uh, written by the military, and I love documents, and this is a book and a story that really can only be told with the documents, so I just became obsessed with the documents, and the documents are really startling. This is a TV show from the 1950s, a very popular TV show in America called Lassie, about a little boy and his dog. several uh, shows that had to do with the military, and the military had all kinds of uh, suggested changes in the stories. There was an episode called Timmy versus the Martians. The little boy thinks he's a contacted Martian, and there was a plane crash. In the original story, the Army came out and did a test and picked up all the pieces of the crashed airplane, and they took it to the wind tunnel and tested it, and they determined that the reason Lassie howled was because it heard a, she heard a, a high-pitched vibration in the wing that was a malfunction in the design of the airplane. And that Lassie had now saved the day because of Lassie howling. They knew what the problem was, and now they could fix all the airplanes so this wouldn't happen again. But when they asked the military for assistance, all they wanted was some some standard footage of a, of a Cessna airplane, reconnaissance military aircraft. They said, no, we won't help you unless you change the script to make it so that the airplane was not faulty. There's no problem with the aircraft. So this is, these are their, their notes right here. These are the military notes to the producers of Lassie. We have also reviewed the Timmy versus the Martians. We have reviewed the script and interposed no objections, except that we strongly recommend that you change the circumstances of the airplane crash. They don't want children to get the idea that the military makes faulty equipment because children of those are the main targets of the recruiting efforts because they make children like the army, like the military, like everything about the military, and so when they grow up, they'll want to join the military. Over and over, the documents are full of statements where they are targeting children to be future recruits. And the children and the people who see these films don't know that this is an advertisement for the military. The military generally uh, allow themselves to be involved with, uh, with Hollywood um, because they're already spending tens of millions of dollars every year on making promotional commercials to try and um, get recruits. On the other hand, we in Hollywood just want to you know, make a bigger and better movie, um, giving the audience more bang for their buck. Um, so it's not hard to see what, what we're trying to get out of it. The vast majority of people around the world have never lived through war. 
While some have witnessed its horrors, few have actually participated in combat. Most of our ideas about war come from watching movies. Above all, American movies. Hollywood has never stopped filming visions of war in all its possible forms, scales and fronts. Past wars, present wars, and future wars. just some, a handful of films that went through the Pentagon uh, approval process. This is Behind Enemy Lines, Full Cooperation, G.I. Jane, No Cooperation, Full Metal Jacket, which showed uh, soldiers killing Marines, killing other Marines, No Cooperation, 13 Days, No Cooperation, Top Gun, great uh, film for the Navy, Full Cooperation, Platoon, No Cooperation, the military hated that movie. Three Kings, of course, showing uh, soldiers stealing gold from the Iraqis. No cooperation. Patton, of course, they love this picture. Full cooperation. Pearl Harbor, again, full cooperation. How long is America going to pretend the world is not at war? From Berlin, Rome, and Tokyo, we have been described as a nation of weaklings and playboys who hire British or Russian or Chinese soldiers to do our fighting for us. between Hollywood and the military is not the censorship that goes into the into the, the films, but the self-censorship. When you know that you're going to need the military's assistance and you know that they're going to be looking at your script, you write it to make them happy right from the beginning. I mean, it is so terrible that you don't really have to know much history to recognize it's absurd. I mean, some people who don't know anything will think it's history, and this is part of the problem, because if, if it was called Tennessee, which was the working title, then it's a fictional story, it's a love story, and Michael Bay said he was making a love story as long as Pearl Harbor wasn't too far in the background because he loved to blow up ships. But if you're going to call Pearl Harbor, then there's a presumption that this is about Pearl Harbor. <laughs> In the late 1920s, the American War Department created an office to act as a bridge between the motion picture industry and the armed forces. We understood that Pearl Harbor was going to be essentially uh, an action picture with an element of romance. It was not going to be an attempt to replicate history as a docudrama. So we understood that. 
we did not enter into our relationship on Pearl Harbor with any illusions that this was going to turn out to be a kind of man for all seasons. It was not advertised to be that way. The filmmakers didn't pretend that it was going to be that way. So we knew that to some extent history was going to be the sacrificial victim in the service of drama and action. But what we did believe, and I think that was borne out quite considerably, was that the film would awaken or reawaken interest in the period and in the survivors who were dying off by the hundreds of thousands. And we were quite gratified, in fact, that up to the release of the picture and long after the release of the picture, an enormous amount of attention, in fact, more attention paid on Pearl Harbor, the survivors, the combatants, than during the 50th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor by a substantial margin. From the earliest days of motion pictures, the American armed forces understood the importance of encouraging the production of films about war and combat. In helping to make wings, the first major cooperation between Hollywood and the Pentagon, the military went well beyond its role of technical advisor and became directly involved in the logistics of the production. Between the First and Second World Wars, American war movements celebrated the bravery of its soldiers and gave the armed forces an aura of invincibility. Beginning in 1941, Hollywood joined the war. By 1943, over 26,000 members of the film industry were serving under the American flag. Never before had Hollywood and the military been so close. Stars traveled to distant fronts to raise troop morale. All sectors of the industry, from artists to technicians, were called to lend a hand. The army enlisted several Hollywood veterans to film the war. John Ford followed the events in the Pacific. William Wyler and John Sturgis, the aerial battles in Europe. And George Stevens, the D-Day landing. Among these films of undeniable courage and generosity, one in particular stands out as an unforgettable statement about the reality of war. And yet for over 30 years, it was banned in America. The guns are quiet now. The papers of peace have been signed. And the oceans of the earth are filled with ships coming home. In faraway places, men dreamed of this moment. But for some men, the moment is very different from the dream. The final result of all that metal and fire can do to violate mortal flesh. Somewhere the badges of their pain, the crutches, the bandages, the splints. Others show no outward signs, yet they too are wounded. listen to the stories of the men who tell them as best they can. The names and places are different. The circumstances are different. But through all the stories runs one thread, death and the fear of death.
1960s, Hollywood continued to celebrate the military feats and traditional heroism of American soldiers during World War II, the perfect example of a just war. The Longest Day is one of the most important films to come from this period. It represents a high point in the relationship between Hollywood and the Pentagon. Never again would they achieve the same level of mutual cooperation. But these images shot by George Stevens at the liberation of the Nazi concentration camps remain a shocking counterpoint to Hollywood's heroic visions of war. you men will be able to say when you get back home. And you may thank God for it. Thirty years from now, when you're sitting around your fireside with your grandson on your knee, and he asks you, what did you do in the great World War II? You won't have to say, well, I shoveled shit in Louisiana. All right, now you sons of bitches, you know how I feel. Boom. I will be proud to lead you wonderful guys into battle anytime, anywhere. That's all. Americans, on one level, deny that they like war uh, and, and therefore violence. They're peace-loving people. But the U.S. was created out of violence in the American Revolution. They, it was preserved in the Civil War. Its expansion came through violence. And then in World War I and World War II, it made the world safe for democracy, using violence for good means. And, and my argument is that Vietnam became so traumatic, not only because we lost, but it was revealed that we really loved violence, and that's one of the reasons we got into the war. You know, we can win. We've always been able to win a little bit of violence, and we've won, and it didn't work. And so it was more traumatic than just that we lost. Why? Most young Americans, born into a land exultant with hope and with golden promise, toil and suffer and sometimes die, in such a remote and distant place? The answer, like the war itself, is not an easy one. But it echoes clearly from the painful lessons of half a century. Three times in my lifetime, in two world wars and in Korea, Americans have gone to far lands to fight for freedom. We have learned at a terrible and a brutal cost that retreat does not bring safety and weakness does not bring peace. 
And it is this lesson that has brought us to Vietnam. I think Americans thought Vietnam would be like World War II. Uh, I'm not sure the movies made that great a contribution to it. I think that may be an exaggeration. I, I believe that with Vietnam what happened is that our leaders lied to us. And, and when you have leaders who lie to you, and, and they lied to themselves about Vietnam, then the public is going to go along with it because there's a natural trust of the leadership until the leadership proves untrustworthy. Eventually, Lyndon Johnson lost the trust of the country. Uh, there's indications that that may happen to George Bush. Uh, you cannot go to war lying about why you're going to war. In this country, there is still a view that the Vietnam War could have been won. The people currently in power in Washington, the President of the United States, his cabinet, Cheney, all these people, believe that that war could have been won. They believe that it was okay to lie about the people in order to get that war to be won. That attitude, that view is what's being sold in Hollywood and elsewhere now in order to get movies that are favorable to the United States and to sell the idea that it's okay for young men to go and women to go off and die in war, that that's acceptable. To be a superpower, there's a basic belief that you must glorify war in order to get the public to accept the fact that you're going to send their sons and daughters to die. That is a very cynical way to run a government. And in the end, it will bite you. Because if there's no serious effort to explain to the public why you're going to war, or if you lie to the public, it will catch up with you. As America sinks into the quagmire of Vietnam, the movie industry begins to lose interest in representing war on screen. After such films as Patton, MASH, Catch-22, and Tora Tora Tora, Hollywood brings the production of war films to a halt. America's defeat in Vietnam leaves the country traumatized and unwilling to address the subject of war for some time. With one exception, the Green Berets. project that John Wayne had wanted to make, and he got, he sent letters, which I have, to Lyndon Johnson asking him to help uh, get the military to assist, which Johnson did. They rolled out the red carpet. They gave everything to the filmmakers for free. But after that, the problem was that the filmmakers did not come into the Pentagon requesting help until after the war was over, because, again, Hollywood was interested in making money. The war had become controversial. They didn't know when it was going to end. They didn't want films laying around that showed a war that was over. So the issue wasn't how Vietnam changed the relationship during the war. It was what happened afterwards. And what happens afterwards is that the media has savaged 
the military, particularly the Army and the Marines for their atrocities, etc. And so when the scripts come in, the scripts that do come in, reflect the filmmakers' perceptions of the war. Military argues they're not in any way correct, and therefore there is no way we're going to cooperate. of the futility of war 
um, it's a film in which we find ourselves being lost um, in the story and yet constantly reminded of uh, things that we should always be reminded of and that is that you know, war is hell, it's madness, uh, we're better to avoid it under any circumstances. Um, it's the ultimate war movie. If you're going to categorize pictures that we didn't work on, I would create two categories. Category one is the picture that has the fundamental show-stopping premise. Apocalypse Now, an officer is sent out to, to assassinate another officer. Um, Crimson Tide an armed mutiny aboard a nuclear submarine. Once you have a fundamental showstopper, there's really little point in pointing out that the ribbons are wrong or the haircuts are not quite right. Any film that's a good film, I think, will, 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 will show that war is not the answer. Any film that the military assists always says that war is the answer. And every film that the military assists is worse than any film that they don't assist. You could, if you had a list of all the films that the military refused to assist and compared those to the films that they did assist, it's like night and day. It's just the films are so much better when the military is not involved because you don't have this censor telling you what to write. You have artists presenting their 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 image, not the military's image. After Vietnam, America enters a new era of peace. The Pentagon invests in technological research, convinced that the safety of its borders and its capacity to intervene depend on technological superiority. Ten years after their divorce, Hollywood starts to offer the Pentagon stories about the technological image it's looking to promote. A film that brings them together once again is fittingly an enormous commercial success. picture because it signified the rehabilitation of the military as acceptable subject matter in a positive context. It showed uh, to me and to a great many other people that you could make a film that portrayed the military, the U.S. military in a positive way and make money and not become a pariah in Hollywood. I'm not saying it was the first picture to do that, but I'm saying it was the most important picture to, to that symbolized that change in public opinion. Spark on. After 10 years of self-doubt, America can make a fresh start and begin to imagine a future that may involve military interventions beyond its borders. 
the Gulf War breaks out three years later, the American public, with images of Top Gun fresh in mind, has no reason to doubt its victory. It was a highly sophisticated, highly technological war. Having learned its lesson from Vietnam, the American army took every precaution to control the images which reached the public. No more bodies would be seen. No more direct human suffering. As in a video game, the images of contemporary warfare became clean. representation of war if America dominates its adversaries in every way. Such a demonstration of superior strength makes dramatic tension hard to sustain. Perhaps that explains why Hollywood made so few films about the Gulf War. In the 90s, a new cycle of films imagines all the ways the enemy might sneak through gaps in technology in order to take advantage of the weaknesses of the American defense system. These films anticipate a new era in which war becomes asymmetrical. About 10 years ago, it just seemed so obvious that the next big conflict was going to be a conflict uh, between uh, non-aligned uh, soldiers and the enemy of so many people in their minds, America. Um, so it's no accident that terrorism uh, was already uh, the front page headlines in the movies long before it became front page headlines in the New York Times. Agent Hubbard, FBI. Now what I propose is that you let these people go and I'll take their place. I'm going to take your silence to mean that you're considering my offer. Oh. Oh, God. London, Belfast, Beirut are not the first city to have to deal with terrorism. This is New York City. We can take it. It's interesting in that if you imagine a melodrama, one needs to have an antagonist, and that antagonist has taken many faces over time. It, it didn't take um, a huge act of imagination to be aware of what was happening in Europe you know, with uh, uh, that kind of radical uh, fundamentalism and to see that there were so many places that were already dealing with the issues that I was addressing. So I wasn't um, making it up out of whole cloth, and, and it could be easy to, to point to that. But the sensitivities of the Arab American community were something that was new and something that the film had to reckon with. Today, with the invocation of the War Powers Act by the President, I am declaring a state of martial law in this city. We intend to seal off this borough, and we intend to squeeze it. Starting here? Wrong! What if what they really want is for us to herd children in the stadiums like we're doing? And put soldiers on the street and have Americans looking over their shoulders? Bend the law, shred the Constitution just a little bit. We do that, and everything that we have bled and fought and died for is over. Don't you ever again question my command, is that clear? I'm not under your command, Jones. 
take a look around and tell me if you really think that's true. I've aspired to try to talk about violence and its consequences. I've tried to talk about the fact that history is made up of people, that there are winners and losers, that there is a price to be paid, and that nothing happens absent its resonance and its consequences. Those films that I have objected to personally or politically are those that um, uh, seem to objectify uh, its participants and, and, and exploit the violence and exploit war um, to suggest that it exists without political context, without human consequence. Not surprisingly, the Pentagon refused to cooperate on Edward Zwick's film, The Siege. Any aspect of the script that deals with military ethics, the behavior of soldiers and officers in times of peace and war, is the object of particular scrutiny by the liaison officers who look at the scripts proposed by the studios. There are many subjects and themes that draw their attention and the different possible reasons for denying cooperation constantly evolve. Often, um, the special assistant to the Secretary of Defense for Entertainment Media will receive a script concurrently with my office. I'll do a sort of peripheral read um, where I, I just kind of get the main points and, and see where, where does it have the Army? That's the first thing I look for, is the first specific Army or military uh, mention. Um, and I'll sort of make notes, okay, we're here. The second time I'll go through and read it with a bit more uh, critical eye. Um, how would that soldier really behave in that situation? Um, what sort of language is the soldier using? How is the soldier uh, viewed by the civilians in the picture. What what is the mood of of the of the piece? And I and I go by it step by step until I can get through it, and it'll it'll be a script uh, similar to this one uh, that's full of notes. First of all, when we look at scripts, you know, are we are we conducting damage control? And the answer is absolutely. It's 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 not my role here to vilify the armed forces because I'm a believer of the armed forces. I wouldn't be in this job if I didn't. And my colleagues feel the same way. Those who are in the military obviously are adherents. Otherwise, they would vote with their feet and quit. So we are all very much of the opinion that the military is an institution for the betterment of the United States. So any picture that's contrary to that fundamental premise is going to be a problem for us. I just wonder how many of the 600 Americans that have been killed in Iraq joined the military because they saw some movie when they were a kid that they'd say, oh, I want to join the military. I saw this movie and it looks, looks great. How many of the dead 600 Americans joined the military because of some movie that they saw, not knowing that the military was the ones that were behind the scenes manipulating the, the content of the script to make the military look better than it really was? Once they got to Iraq, it was too late. Yeah, it wasn't all so glamorous over there. When you use the military for propaganda, and the American public sees it all the time, the sensitivity to what's real and what's not real is lost. And because our movies are shipped around the world and everybody sees them around the world, that sensitivity may be going elsewhere. And what happens when that takes place is that when a life is taken, you care a little less. When you lose somebody, you care, oh, that's war. You know, we get this sort of very tough attitude. 
And I'm afraid that's what the movies are doing. The Passionate Eye now continues with Operation Hollywood, a look at the cozy relationship between the makers of big box office war movies and the Pentagon. This is the Windtalker script, the original script, and this is uh, page 51 is the character of the dentist. And the description says, bent over a dead Japanese soldier doing what he does, relieving the dead of the gold in their mouth. And then the dialogue for the dentist is, come to Papa. The dentist twists his bayonet, struggles to get the gold nugget out of the corpse's teeth, sees Helmstead and the rest of the second assault coming to the slope. Well, this was a big problem for the Pentagon. They didn't want anything like this in the movie. This is a, 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 an internal memo from uh, the Marine Corps Film Office, Captain Matt Morgan, to Phil Strube, saying, page 51, the dentist digs gold from the jaws of corpses. This has to go. The activity is unmarine. And Phil Strube, his boss at the Pentagon, wrote back, stealing gold teeth. Yep, has to go. The dentist's character displays distinctly unmarine behavior. He is, in fact, committing an atrocity. Well, they don't want that shown in a film that they're cooperating with. So the producers agreed that they would take it up. As we see from the film, the real actual footage, Marines really did this during World War II. There is actual footage of a Marine with a pair of pliers pulling uh, uh, the gold teeth out of dead Japanese soldiers' mouths. of war, not the idealized, heroic uh, version that the Pentagon wants to uh, project. My objection is not to filmmakers altering history. Filmmakers, art is manipulable, and filmmakers can say whatever they want. They can say something is absolutely false. But when the military starts dictating the content of art and saying what the uh, what history is and their idea of history well we know that's completely false and one of the great examples is what they tried to do the film 13 days the filmmakers are trying to stick very close to real history they had the actual kennedy before nixon was taping in the white house kennedy was taping in the white house and we can actually hear at the john f kennedy library website you can listen to the actual tape recordings that kennedy was having during the cuban missile crisis the other option. That was not good enough for the military. They did not want a real picture of what the military was advising, which would have taken us down the path of World War III. They wanted a much more sanitized version, and they would not assist Kevin Costner and Peter Allman and the producers of 13 Days because it showed too much of the real history, the true facts of what happened. But if launched, those missiles from Cuba would kill a lot of Americans. The very presence of those missiles gives the Soviets first strike capability. Those missiles make a nuclear exchange more likely. And that is why I'm being such a pain in the ass about destroying them and destroying them immediately. Hell, even Mac agrees. And sir, given your own statements about Cuba, I think a, a blockade or a bunch of political talk be considered by a lot of our friends and neutrals as a pretty weak response. I suspect that many of our own citizens might feel the same way. You're in a pretty bad fix, Mr. President. What did you say? You're in a pretty bad fix. Well, maybe you haven't noticed you're in it with me. 
Now, General, what are the uh, what are the Soviets going to do when we attack? Nothing. 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 Because the only alternative open to them is one they can't choose. You know, they're they're not just missiles we're going to be destroying, General. If we kill Soviet soldiers, they're going to respond. I mean, how would we respond? If they killed ours, no, they're going to do something, General. I can promise you that. Those goddamn Kennedys are going to destroy this country if we don't do something about this. When we got the script, we found that it was just impossible. It was so unrealistic. And we sort of did this, uh, you know, my historian is smarter than your historian. And, or, and we kind of went back and forth, and they insisted that things had happened that, uh, that my historian said did not happen, and particularly over some of the portrayals of McNamara and his relationship with the, in fact, the, the whole White House versus the military. I mean, we felt that the overall, the, the purpose of the military in the 13 days was to serve as a thuggish, malign presence against which the Kennedys could glow in contrast. This is a, a letter from Phil Strube to the producers of 13 Days from July 1998, where they uh, told them that they're not going to give them assistance for this film. They're saying that uh, they won't help them because both General LeMay and General Taylor are depicted in a negative and inauthentic way as unintelligent and bellicose. But in fact, that's exactly what they were. The, the, the two generals were very belligerent. They wanted to go to war. They wanted to attack Cuba. The, the record is clear on that because they have tapes showing it. The United States established the First Amendment of the Constitution as one of the keys to the American system of democracy. It's important to note that when the framers created our Bill of Rights, the very first thing they guaranteed was freedom of speech and freedom of the press in the First Amendment. The United States protects speech to a level that I think is unprecedented around the world, that we have shortcomings. But one thing that we can point to with pride is the First Amendment. And the courts have historically always been highly protective of the First Amendment. The problem is one of method, in that the military wants to shape the message, but they know that they can't do it directly. They can't use a stick. If they go after a filmmaker who puts together a negative film, the courts will immediately shut them down. So instead of using a stick, they dangle a carrot. And they say that if you work with us, if you change your film, we'll save you millions of dollars. We'll give you access to aircraft carriers, film footage, U.S. personnel. We'll even set off ordnance so it looks like a real war instead of those computer-generated things. The Pentagon is like a giant white truck that, that public relations we shoot over there. It just moves through the water, looking at targets of opportunity and going snap, snap, snap. And that's not going to change. Congress is interested. They want to look patriotic and they want to get reelected. So they're not going to stop it. And the, and the commercial media, which, by the way, due to the vertical integration of the media, the fact that these media companies 
that now own the movie studios, now own the TV networks and the book publishers, are looking much less critically at all these issues because they can profit by this. So there is no large opposition to what they are doing. And therefore, I think it may get worse. And the only thing I can tell the viewers, the people who are the end users of these products, is when you see these kinds of films, understand you're looking at government propaganda. Is the American will in favor of our involvement in these pictures? I have no way of knowing because there's never been any surveys. But I can tell you one thing. Their elected officials are certainly not opposed to it because it's nothing that we keep quiet or secret. We don't advertise it. We don't choose to... to try to be prominent to gain attention for ourselves. The public affairs world wants to stay behind the camera, not in front of it. But we're, there's certainly nothing that we're hesitant about. We're, we're not ashamed of their relationship, nor have we ever uh, heard any complaints or any requests to modify it from the elected officials of the American public. So I can only say that though we may get an occasional letter saying, why did you work on this picture? Why did you work on that TV show? Most of those we didn't. They just think we did. Americans have no bloody idea who Phil Strub is. And yet, he has done tremendous work in shaping popular culture. They wouldn't like it. I mean, if you, if you told them who Phil Strub was, they wouldn't like it. They wouldn't like what he does or what he represents. But that's the point. Nobody tells them. has decided to take the initiative. From the water to the After 9-11, their approach to their image has radically changed. So the team, uh, we bring to the table, maybe we're the result is this new type of short documentary, made to look like Hollywood movies and intended to be shown in theaters like movie tone newsreels of the past. But in this case, there is no screenwriter or director, not even a journalist, no more intermediaries. The soldiers themselves that do the filming, with a camera in one hand and a rifle in the other. Anybody can take a video camera and point it, but to go out and also to be under fire, as you've seen from the films, you know that's not Hollywood. That's real. I mean, these guys were going in front of live rounds, missiles, tanks, and there's no games, and there's no retakes, and there's no reshoots. Uh, they had to get it, and their mission was to get the shots in the best, with the best visual content of the background to the foreground to whatever that they could possibly get. You know, propaganda is creating it for you to do something. This isn't. This is telling you something that happened. I'm not asking you to do anything whenever you watch this. It's documenting what happened. 
The goal is very simple for every person in America to see it. The message, there's people overseas protecting your freedom of speech. That's it. Enduring Freedom was that it was a military-produced documentary, so uh, the notion of some kind of uh, objective viewpoint for documentaries would seem to be beside the point of that kind of production. They don't want an objective viewpoint. They want the military's viewpoint of it. The Pentagon immediately understood the technological advances provided by computer-generated imagery. War began to invade games. Well, what's really interesting to me about specifically this game, and I became kind of addicted to this game in 2002 when it came out. Uh, first of all, it was released while the U.S. was preparing to go to war with Iraq, uh, our second time. And what's interesting about that to me is that, of course, there's a great deal uh, in contemporary wars of control of information from battlefields and stuff uh, to the media by, by, by the U.S. And uh, this, this kind of interest in seeing, getting behind the front lines, seeing what things look like virtually in these games, I think speaks to a great thirst or, or desire for that knowledge that is not being, uh, not being satisfied by the media. Um, so these games play to that desire, the desire for that forbidden knowledge of what uh, what the battlefields look like and what goes on. And of course, we're not getting real knowledge, we're getting this kind of, uh, you know, uh, entertainment version of this knowledge that um, may include real data and ballistics and what a bridge looks like, but the idea that this is somehow uh, anywhere near what real war would be like is, a, you know, kind of absurd. But it speaks to that desire. Okay, so this is the production trailer for America's Army. It's the kind of thing that would have been shown at gaming conventions to announce the product. Uh, and then made available online to uh, fan websites uh, for gamers. The, the Army has been using simulated training, meaning, you know, obviously training based on electronic devices and so forth for, for many, many decades. Um, but it wasn't until uh, the late 80s and 90s that they really became involved in gaming uh, training that was based off of commercial games. And this here is the uh, trailer for the game itself. As you can see, it looks very much like an, uh, a movie trailer, but also like an army recruitment ad you would see on television. Uh, it mixes in documentary footage with images, uh, footage from the game itself, with restaged video footage, uh, and it's, it's created in such a way that it's difficult to tell where one thing ends and another thing begins. If you think about how, what is the military in a military video game, uh, well, number one, it's uh, it's access to cool stuff. It's access to cool technology. This is a big part of how the Army is promoting itself in its recruitment ads, is that it's not that join the Army, you'll get to sit in your ass in the desert and eventually get blown up. It's join the Army, you'll have access to the coolest technology you've ever seen. Because of the influence of video games, and because since, say, the Gulf War, the idea of saying war is not a video game or war is not like a video game has become a, a cliche. I'd imagine that directors who would attempt to go beyond video games in some way, like uh, f think about the, the film Black Hawk Down or Saving Private Ryan. Definitely on the part of those directors, there was a, there's an attempt to convey the, the reality of war at a level at which video games may, in some sense, make it unreal. Black Hawk Down, a magnificently directed and produced film, 
was a part of the problem, not the solution. Yes, it showed the results of warfare, bodies being torn apart by explosives, but in its treatment of the enemy, a fanatical, uh, brainless, um, ragtag mob who had little or no humanity um, and were stupid to boot, um, it was a part of the old uh, approach to war movies and the pre-9-11 way of thinking. There could be nothing more poetic, nothing more symbolic than the U.S. military supporting an anti-war film. And that's the great loss. You know, the, these offices could, in fact, be the finest moment for our system to show that the U.S. military is there to protect viewpoints, all viewpoints, even those that don't favor it. But instead, it is yielded to this great temptation. You know, Oscar Wilde once said that the only way to be rid of temptation is to yield to it. And that really sums up the military liaison offices. They have yielded to every temptation, great and small, to manage the image that appears on the big screen. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information.
This is Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a modest town of 140,000, known for its cattle auctions and meatpacking industry. It's a town which boasts a huge post office, big enough to service a city several times its size. Every day, millions of pieces of mail pass through here. And from here, millions of credit card solicitations and bills are sent to mailboxes across America. And billions of dollars in credit card payments come in from around the world. Today, Sioux Falls is one of the major credit card processing centers in the country. It all happened in Sioux Falls because a quarter of a century ago, times were hard in South Dakota. There was a nationwide recession with double-digit inflation. Money was very tight. South Dakota banks were issuing very few mortgages or loans of any kind. Interest rates were going into orbit. They were climbing all the time. So Bill Janklo was then the governor of South Dakota. When I came to the governor's office, South Dakota had very tight historical laws on what you could charge to borrow. In other words, uh, there was one interest rate by law that they could charge for new cars, another one for used cars. It was highly regulated what interest rates people could pay. What I'm trying to say is uh, we may have a law that said you could charge 9%, but money cost 11%, so banks weren't loaning money. To get the banks to issue loans, South Dakota decided to eliminate its historic cap on interest rates, known as a usury law. We had actually changed some of our laws in 79, and we had previously introduced legislation and passed legislation, or were passing legislation, to lift the ceilings on usury so we could free up and get capital in South Dakota. At the same time across the country, in New York City, a legendary banker had his own problems. Well, it's very simple. We were going broke. It's Walter Riston, then chairman of Citibank, had a credit card division that was hemorrhaging money. New York's usury laws prohibited banks from charging more than 12% on most consumer loans. Interest rates went up to 20%. Mm -hmm. And if you are lending money at 12% and paying 20%, you don't have to be Einstein to realize you're out of business. It was costing... Citibank 20% for money, and you were only getting 12% sure. back? Certainly. Because That's of the limit on interest. Yes. There was no way that you could continue. So Riston and Citibank began looking for a new place to do business. So we made a study of the five states that had either no usury law or very high <coughs> amounts. One of them was South Dakota. So we said, look, we'll bring a couple of thousand jobs out here. In 1981, Citibank moved its credit card operation from New York to South Dakota. From the time I met them until we passed our legislation, it was just several weeks. I mean, we really moved. That, that was a good deal for us. It was a hell of a deal for them. What did they get out of this? What Citibank got out of it? They got to stay alive. But what really attracted Citibank to South Dakota was an obscure Supreme Court decision that said a bank could now export its interest rate to other states. It was called the Marquette decision. The Marquette Bank decision was a U.S. Supreme Court decision that said, forget where the bank is chartered. Wherever the credit decision is made, in whatever state, that's the place where you can apply interest 
wherever you make the loan. In other words, if South Dakota had a 25% ceiling, then you could charge 25% even to a loan in Florida. Janklow realized that the Marquette decision meant that South Dakota could become the credit card capital of America. In a very short period of time, matter of a few months, I was meeting with the chairman of the board of Bank of America, with First Chicago of Illinois, uh, Chase Manhattan Bank, Manufacturers Hanover Bank, Chemical Bank, Bank of New York, all the big banks in America, because only South Dakota at that point in time appeared to be willing to, to move forward to invite people to come in. But soon, another state got into the act. Delaware copied South Dakota's legislation, and Wilmington soon became the credit card center of the East, luring other New York banks and giving rise to new companies like MBNA. For the first time in American history, there were no legal restrictions on the interest rates banks could charge on credit cards nationwide. You can look at the Marquette decision and say, all right, maybe it took the lid off, but what it did was it had a very egalitarian effect. Duncan McDonald is the former general counsel of Citibank's credit card division. He says the Marquette decision allowed bankers to charge higher interest rates to riskier customers. The minute Marquette came along, you could jack the price up a little bit more to cover those people. And as a result, tens of millions of people who were paying 30 and 35% interest rates to small loan companies all of a sudden got the product at 19% at interest rate and an annual fee of $20. So in that sense, it was very egalitarian and very good. And very good for banking. As the deregulation of interest rates enabled more people to get credit cards, the industry began to expand and became the most profitable sector of banking, with $30 billion in profits last year. We wanted to talk to the executives of the major credit card banks about their business, but were directed instead to the American Bankers Association. We've asked for interviews with all the major credit card companies. Uh -huh. They won't talk to us. Why? That's our job. Uh, they pay us dues to handle these kinds of sometimes difficult assignments. Ed Yingling is the incoming president of the American Bankers Association and the industry's top lobbyist. How profitable is the credit card business? The credit card business is profitable. You would expect the credit card business to be somewhat more profitable than the rest of the industry or parts of the industry because it's riskier. Uh, it is an unsecured loan, and so you would expect the returns to be a little higher. Wasn't last year record profits for this industry, and they're expected again this year? Uh, yeah, but compared to what? It is not an unusually profitable business compared to other businesses. MB&A's profits last year, one and a half times that of McDonald's. Well, McDonald's didn't do too well last year, and MBNA is a big company. Citibank more profitable than Microsoft, Walmart, and the executives are highly paid. Right, right. These are, these are really big businesses, and they do make money. Today, nearly 144 million Americans have credit cards, and they are using their cards like never before, charging $1.5 trillion last year alone. Credit cards have become an essential part of the American economy. I really can't say that I love my credit card, but I would hate to live without it. I use it a lot for work. It's easy. It's easy access. I can take clients out for dinner. 
I take advantage of the miles. We fly first class on vacations. It's nice to be able to spend what you don't have. Can you imagine living without a credit card in this society? That's hard to imagine. Mm -hmm. We sat down with a group of credit card customers to talk about how they use their cards. We're consumers. America loves to consume. It's in our blood. It is like an addiction. I mean, I have this new credit card in my pocket, and look at that great dress. I can do it. I really shouldn't do it all. I'll just pay it off later. And you do it. Mm -hmm. But I don't have that iPod. I'm not cool. Yeah. So I can charge and pay it off. And Christmas is just around the corner. There's always something. <laughs> They're just a gift. And for the traveler, which I am, a very, very, very frequent traveler indeed is what I am, uh, they are indispensable. Actor and author Ben Stein loves the convenience of using his credit cards. Credit cards are an incredible deal for me. I mean, I have lots and lots of different cards. I, I mean, my wallet is just stuffed with cards. It's just insane. It's just ridiculous. I look like, I, I look like I've got a third breast from my uh, carrying around my... Wallow with so many credit cards in it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Have a nice afternoon. Stein says he charges thousands of dollars a month in business expenses on his credit cards. I use all their good services and they don't make any money from me. I mean, none to speak of. Oh, wait, here's a kind of cute one. The credit card companies do make a percentage on each transaction, but Stein is not their ideal customer because, like 55 million Americans, he pays his bills off every month and doesn't pay any interest. The credit card companies hate people like me who pay off our bills every month. And I know that because I ran into a fellow I went to high school with on the street, and he told me he worked for a credit card company, and I told him about how much I use credit cards. Now I pay them off every month, and he said, oh, we, got, we hate you. We hate you guys. We call you deadbeats. Deadbeats in the upside-down world of the credit card business are the people like Ben Stein who pay off their bills on time. The industry's best customers are the 90 million Americans who don't pay off their credit card debt. They're called the revolvers. People in the industry tell us that, that revolvers, people who borrow money basically with their credit card, that's where the profits are. I don't think that's where all the profits are. Well, I, think, I think it is generally understood that those that use the revolving part of the credit card uh, are, are kind of the sweet spot. Today, the sweet spot, as Mr. Yingling calls it, continues to grow, and the top interest rates charged are higher than ever before, according to Robert McKinley, who founded... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.